let us have a lute. We sing in praise of Raniac Ives and hope it brightens up your life. It's free on iTunes and SoundCloud. Some interviews are not too loud. There is no glory greater than a phone call from Richard Marsan. We are now ready and quite keen to play you episode 17. first in a new series of the knockout fishing competition, Hooked. While here on one, Doctor Who rubs shoulders with roundheads and royalists as he's brought down to earth by the awakening. Hello. Hello. And welcome to episode 17 of Round the Archives. Hello. Hello. I'm Andrew. I'm Lisa. That'll do. Okay. (laughs) Ah, uh, now, what do we have? Uh, we have the Doctor Who 80s special, special really, yes. I guess, for Christmas. Yes. yes. Not terribly Christmassy. No. But Sorry if you don't like Doctor Who. But I, maybe <laughs> it is, because yeah. sort of the Davison years, which is yes. what we're going to concentrate on. Um, no, started only in, some of the Davison well, years. Yeah. Not only the Davison years. But there the, is some other stuff as well. There is some other stuff. But we're starting with the Davison years. Yes. And they would have started just after Christmas. They would, so, yeah. Because it was always January when... Yes. Those seasons started. Yeah. Uh, a few odds and ends from last time. Uh, people may wonder why I shouted Marmite. Hey, mate. I did. <laughs> During my Ambassadors of Death trailer mm. reconstruction. It's because they were having a punch-up. Yes. And it's a rather oblique reference to the Perishers comic strip from the Daily Mirror. Right. There were two characters, Fred Beetle and the Caterpillar, and they right. used to have a punch-up. And when they used to have a punch-up, they used to shout things at each other, insults, Mm -hmm. which included um, Parasite, Mm. Trotskyite, and Marmite. Right, okay. Which isn't really a sort of insult. Or a a thing. But um, I used to quite like the Perishers. I had a few books of them. And um, there was a TV version of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Various voices, Sheila Stiefel. Yeah. Uh, Leonard Rossiter and Peter Hawkins oh, right, giving okay. us a link with old Doctor Who. Yeah. And Maisie Williams, mm-hmm. who's been in new Doctor Who, mm-hmm. her real name is Margaret. Okay. But she's always been called Maisie after mm-hmm. Maisie from the Parishers. All oh, right, okay. How about that? Cool. Um, 
What else? Oh, Invasion of the Dinosaurs, part five. The yeah. helicopter shots are indeed all stock footage. Yes. They do blend in terribly well. Yes, they're very well chosen, aren't they? But, so. um, yeah, it's it's they obviously couldn't afford a helicopter just no. to chase Pertwee. No. Up some trees. No. Well, not up some trees. Up some trees. <laughs> he'd be getting up trees from dinosaurs. Mind you, he'd be at, I could say he's going to get up trees, get away from dinosaurs, but then he'd be at the right height to be eaten. Yes, okay. So. Um, but now we're going to commence mm-hmm. with, you wanted to do the Davison two-part historicals, didn't yes. you? That's right. Yes. So you're going to take a look at those. and yeah. Well, we are. Well, we are. We are. I'm going to help you. Yes. But this is your idea, really, isn't it? Mm. And um, obviously we're going to start with Black Orchid. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Okay. Viewers with CFAX who experience hearing difficulties will find subtitles for the next programme, Doctor Who, on page 170. This is BBC One. <laughs> Here we are then, we've watched episode one of Black Orchid. Yes, indeed. And what did yes. you make of that one, Lisa? Um, it's an enjoyable little um, filler, I think. <laughs> and it doesn't make it bad, it's yeah. just, you know, it's it's noticeable the cast possibly aren't having the best time at certain points of it, because mm. the grass is very squishy. Yeah, they get out It's of the very car. squelchy when they're walking. Well, this is October, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah, because there's a... And it's very windy. It's clear in the party wet. scene. It's just chucked it down with the rain yes. at one point. At one point between scenes, but it's fun. It's the, it, yeah. nice costumes. Um, Sarah Sutton gets a little bit more to do than normal because she gets to play two parts. I mean, the, cr- the cricket stuff is is, is, is fun. Is, is fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's sort of. I think it's the point at which it finally justifies having Davison's, Davison's um, costume. actual costume. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah. I remember enjoying it. At the time, it was it was mm. nice to have historical um, that 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 sort of period. I think I think Davison works quite well in the sort of upper class sort of yeah. He's, he's world, that kind he? of um, he plays that kind of character very well because of course he will go on to play Campion yes after right, this, yeah. um, and he's obviously played Tristan, which is it's not quite that level, but it's the next level down, isn't it? Tristan and, and Siegfried, they're the sort of middle class. Apple, upper middle class because I mean it, it, it's, it's a bit sort of like Box of Delights period as well yes. isn't it so yes it, sort of 20s yeah. everybody's a little bit sort of in a big house yes yes. <laughs> everybody's what, ter- what is this everybody's terribly well spoken yes. aren't they and yeah. very polite but yeah. he, fit, he fits into that world quite well he I does think. yeah, yeah he's, ca- he's particular I can't see Tom's doctor in that no and I can't see Colin's doctor in. I can't see either of the doctors either side mm. Davidson's doctor fits perfectly into that time period. Do you think think they get away with the two? Uh, um, I was going to say the two nissers, but <laughs> that's what it should have been called. The, the two, two nissers. the two nissers. Um, but um, when, when you've got um, Sarah Sutton's double there, I don't know. Maybe some of the shots, I think you can tell that she's different because she's got a different nose, doesn't she? Yeah. Because <laughs> although you've got the headdress, yes, you can still see yeah. that she's not but, quite the same. But it works well enough. Yeah. These things are always difficult when Ma- you've got one actress playing two different yeah. parts. Matthew Waterhouse just gets to eat, so he, yes. he, I think he probably enjoyed he's that. He's quite happy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have to do with the dancing. He, well, he can't. He's a Doctor Who fan. He can't dance, can he? <laughs> <laughs> You've never tried the Charleston, then, have you? No, no. never tried the Charleston. Charleston's no. terribly complicated looking. Yeah. Lots of feet and... Lots of feet, feet and kicking. And feet and waving your hands about. Yes, yeah. Being a bit sort of groovy. And I, I do like the way the um, at the end... At the end of part one, when the um, 
she's calling for help and yes. the butler rushes in. He puts his tray down he ma- first. He, he, he's got a sort of silver thing in yes, his hand. Like, he, it might be a cocktail decanter or something. Possibly, but he makes yes. sure to put it carefully on the table, on the table before he goes and helps. Before he goes and gets himself killed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, spoiler alert, but... You know, well, I think I, most people have I probably seen people, Black Orchid. I don't, I guess I don't think we need to worry about spoilers. Yes. But yes. Um, yeah, it's quite a fun episode. Yeah, I mean, not much happens, it has no, to be said. No. But it, it's one of those stories where you're going to go, oh, but it's not because, obviously, because the unknown mm. is wearing the Doctor's costume. There's now yeah. going to be a suspicion that it was the Doctor and all this. But it gets it gets sorted out quite quickly, doesn't it? It's actually yeah. sorted out within the first yeah. ten minutes of the episode. And well, the railway station was nice as well. Yes, it looks like the one in Heidi High. Yeah, because we've seen a lot yes. of Heidi High. And they, they, we've seen all of Heidi High. Well, yes. yes. And they, they sort of uh, have a few episodes where they've got scenes at the railway station, yeah. isn't it? But then all... I suppose you're looking for something of that period, aren't yeah. you? So. But yeah, anyway, on to yes. part two then. Yes, and let's, we'll... let's, let's see what happens let's, and who the unknown let's is. Let's watch and see. Let Indeed. Black or Good part two. Yes. Enjoy that? Yes. It's yes. quite fun, isn't it? It yeah. is quite fun. Well, apart from all the murdering and um, <laughs> people setting fire to things yeah. and... But there's one there's one sort of thing that was very obvious that when the uh, police um, find the TARDIS and the yes. Doctor takes them to the house, yes, there's a real missed opportunity for yeah, a big finish series. Yeah, you could there. have had, you could have had lots of adventures with Sir Robert and the two policemen, yeah, Murray Watson and Ava Salter, Salter and Andrew yeah. Terrell yeah, as Constable Cummings. Constable Cummings. Yes, there's a Constable Cummings in this yeah, story. Yeah, Constable Cummings. Yeah, I'd never never clocked that no. before. No. But yeah, I mean, it's, I did notice that when there's sort of there's a the bit where the camera zooms in on George when he's mm-hmm. in the bedroom, and, mm-hmm. and you sort of see his hands and his yes. face, and then there's a big close up to a um, shot of a cooked chicken on the table. Yes. It's a very odd, yes, it's sort a of very cut. Odd. Yes, yes. <laughs> mm, yes. I don't know if that was intentional. Is that, that or not? meant to put you off eating chicken? I Possibly. Don't know. Yeah. yeah. Perhaps Ron Jones was a vegetarian. Well, maybe. I don't maybe. Know. But I, I know the sort of ca- the, on the commentary, the cast are a bit down on they Black Orchid. Yeah, they? and I think that's probably more to do with the fact that it was cold by the looks of it. It was mm. wet. Although it, it wasn't does, fun it, to film by the looks of it. It does scrub up well on the film. Scrubs up well on the yeah. on the DVD with yeah, a bit of sort of colour correction and stuff. Yeah. It makes it look a lot more summery yes. than it actually was. Yes. <laughs> we can tell it's not very summery by just how windy it is. Yeah. Yeah, the, the bushes are going and people's hairs yes. are going all over yeah, the place. Yeah, dresses are blowing all over the place. And yeah, is. but I, I think, I mean, Davison's first season has got a real range of different yeah. stories, yeah. isn't it? I mean, big, um, it's it's and it's it's nice to have a pure historical after a a semi historical, a semi historical, because yeah. obviously there's visitations yeah. before this, and that's set in the 17th century but then you've got the Terraleptiles in yeah. it which brings the sort of sci-fi edge to it but I, I certainly remember being quite excited by Davison's first season because mm. um, it was a feeling of freshness and yeah. uh, um, the, yeah. the, 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 I didn't quite know where the series was headed no, it's, and that was it's, quite exciting it's, it's, it's a, you get a real range of stories yeah. I mean, in that you, first you've, season it's, effectively you've got sort of You've got sort of Chris Bidmead setting up, and then Anthony yeah. Root doing some work yeah. on it, and Eric Saywood coming in coming as well. In as so well, they, yeah. They, they, yeah. it's like it's going in three different directions yes. briefly. Yeah. Um, you, you, you've got you've got Kinder, and you've got Earthshock, and you've yeah. got this all in that yeah. one season, and that that's a yeah, that's a lot of different styles of story. Um, there there, is. There's there's no overall 
I mean, season, season twenty, I think, is a much is a much more. It's more linear. Yeah, it's it's yes. more. The stories feel like they're all part of the same the same, thing. Yeah, same this, series. This, this does feel a bit like a mismatch of sort of season thirteen and season sort of an earlier season, the Hartnell season, because mm. of the heart because of the historicals. Yeah, and of course, Black Orchid is the last pure, pure historical to fairly recently because well. we just had a, a pure historical yes it's, it's an inter- it's interesting in last theory season. oh martha's come to see hello, hello martha. martha but yeah we, we said to warren what's the last historical story yes. after black orchid yeah and uh, he, he, he thought about it for a long time yes a long and what's time. your answer to it uh thin ice why is thin ice historical then because there is no point in the story where they say the big fish is of extra extraterrestrial origin so if the if the fishy thing does come from the earth yes it's um, a pure historical it's a historical story because yeah. there's no alien there's element no alien in element it apart, apart from, from the, the doctor, doctor and the yeah. yeah interesting yeah. point so there's there is no point in thin ice where it's stated the fish comes from anywhere from other space. than the earth N- near it's not space. a space fish it's not a space fish it's a fish <laughs> a from somewhere fish. in on the earth you know there's a lot of ocean on the earth there's a lot of deep ocean on the earth we don't know what's there (laughs) there could be a huge fish that makes oil but yes so yes but we're going off the point yeah but that's black orchid yes black uh, orchid is it's fun next round the corner would be earth shock of course yes um and i I think that's and it's it's quite a nice quiet story Mm, it's It's almost in a way it's the one yeah, it's just just having a sort of quiet moment before yeah. the biggie. Well, it's the way they do finales now in mm. some ways that usually the, you get the two-part finale at the end of the series. Mm. But before that, you get a quieter episode to sort of give you a chance to have a breath, deep yeah. breath before mm. you go into the finale. Like um, in The Forest of the Night. Yes. The Forest of the right, Night yeah, is a yeah. quiet, nice, well, sort of nice, nice story. Yeah. Before you go into the darkness of the finale <laughs> of, of, of Peter Capaldi's first series. So, uh, interesting. And that's what this is, because Earth Shock is it's not quite the finale, but yeah. it's... In some ways it should to, have been. It should have been, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They perhaps should have not gone with time flight, yeah. but hey-ho. But there we go. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Black Orchid's fun. Yeah, fun, fun. Yeah. Um, nothing, nothing, not, not aiming, you know too high not, no. not trying to be anything. not trying to be worthy it's yeah. just trying to entertain just a, a nice little yeah. fun story yeah. and I kind of like those kind of stories yeah you need them setting. every now and, yeah. and then and I like you? those sort of period yeah. stories as well and of course we should say it's something that BBC do fairly well oh yes I mean it looks it looks lovely yes. I mean I don't I don't think they spent too much money no. on it but you're able to get all those sets and yes. costumes they've and got all the, from... all the stuff in stock yeah you know, yeah. so there we go then. Yeah. Right, okay, we'll be back a bit later. Yes, with... and we shall be talking about the king's demons. demons. Tomorrow on BBC One, Doctor Who. The TARDIS arrives in 13th century England where the Doctor meets an old adversary and finds something strangely amiss. King? Without a doubt. Do our demons come to visitors? Bid them attend us. Demons? Very odd indeed. Makes a nice change for you not to take everything in your stride, I must say. Must you? To right. Yeah, it's just sunk in. March the 4th, 1215. So? Something very wrong here. Yeah. 
That's Doctor Who tomorrow at 6.55. Part one of The King's Demons. Yes, indeed. Okay. Yes. So, what it's, do we think? It's quite fun. Yeah. Gerald Flood is amazingly fruity and he's, <laughs> he's giving he's it his all. He's fruitier than a fruitcake. He's fruitier than a, the fruitiest fruitcake. Yes, he's clearly pretty ha- good. Clearly having fun. He's having fun, yes. yes. Um, but yeah, it's a nice, it's some nice film work, I think. Yeah. It just, yeah. I mean, it's clearly very cold again. It, yes. it, seems, it seems to be these two parters seem yeah. to be... Filmed the wrong it, time of year. Yeah. 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 But I always like a good castle. Yes. yes. And that's yeah. uh, that's quite mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested when you first saw it. Yes. Had you realised it, was, it the was the master? I don't know because all I, the way through, I'm going. It's just, it's just that you can see it's Anthony Ainley. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I honestly can't there's remember. There's close-ups and things that just yes. reveal it, aren't there? Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I mean the song's fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As and you, you proved, yeah, and you said the the king's uh, fool is uh, yes jigging about and jigging being about, annoying, being annoying, getting in the way, and <laughs> tapping people on the legs, and which a fool probably would have done. Yeah, so, you know. but Fitzwilliam Castle, yes. Um, what does the Fitz mean? The Fitz means that Sir Ranulph is, is he, he either or he his is, family or his family is derived from an illegitimate son of william of a william yes could be william the conqueror yeah could be one of the other williams yeah it's never it's never so, pointed out but it's a nice no. little detail yes um, i'm not even sure they knew that when they wrote it oh, I, I, I think terence dudley probably yeah. did I, I don't know <laughs> um but yeah it's um it, it is i think the thing that you get to the end and you think oh it's the master yeah and it does that make you think the next part's not going to be quite as interesting i don't know yeah. maybe because I mean, you've got the clear... interesting thing with who is King John. Yeah. If he's not actually King John, because Sir Jeffrey's left King John in London. It's an interesting setup, I think, the first yeah. episode. Because um, um, I do remember the preview. I think it was in DWM, um, and they kept on referring back to the Time Meddler. I think. All right. So. You know, hmm. it, it's 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 very much the case of the, this story is the one we've got to have the master in because yep. of Anthony's Anthony's contract. contract. Yeah. But would it have been interesting if, if it, it had, had been, been the not monk. the master and it had been I the mean, monk instead? A, a regenerated meddling yeah, cause, monk. Yeah, because if he was stranded, um, oh no, because he was he was stranded in um, Dalek Master Plan, wasn't yes. it? Because of course he came back. I was yeah. thinking, of course, it could, it could tie tie in. But yeah. uh, well, I don't know. Though there's there's I suppose you could have the you know, it's time travel. It, it yeah. could it could yeah. have been like a story in between yeah. Time Meddler and Dark Master Plan. Dark Plan, yeah. That'd be interesting. Yeah. But yeah. And we should mention the Iron Maiden as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, which is historically inaccurate in two ways. Yeah, go on then. In the fact that they didn't have Iron Maidens. Mm-hmm. It's a fallacy. It's something that was sort of made up in the, in the Victorian age, yeah. in the 19th century. And it has a ruff. Yeah. It has a Tudor ruff round its neck. I'm trying to remember if it's one that pops up in the Black Adder because there's a, yeah. there's some Iron Maidens in that at some point. I seem All to right. remember, but I, and it's around the same time. Yes. But yeah, it's 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 a fun little one. It's, um, it's, so. it's a fun sort of little. It's not one I watch that often. No. As, as to has to be said, no. but no. Um, I, you know, but it's a lot less. Um, uh, tedious than the previous story with the master which is you know time flight yeah. which 
is the only story we have when we were doing our, our rewatch from start the start of the classic era mm. to the end of the classic era that we had to stop for a day <laughs> to give ourselves a break before we carried on. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting also to think that this was meant to be followed by a Dalek story as yes. well, which of course never happened. No, for no the, not until the know, next season. All, anyway. all the sort of strikey things that yes. are happening around the end of season mm. season twenty. But yes, it's a fun little story, and I mean, it's a shame because it's not historical because of the master yeah. and other things. Um, but I think the period is quite nicely evoked, isn't it? It is. You know, I mean, yeah. Well, again, the, set, the it's, sets aren't bad. It's the BBC doing what the yeah. BBC does best, which is historical you, drama. Because you've never been to that castle. Uh, podium, no. No, 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 no neither no. have I. But uh, there we go. Anyway, on to part two then. Yes. Anything else? No. 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 Okay. Part two's coming up then. Okay. See you. Bye. <laughs> The King's Demons, part two. Yes. Interesting that uh, it's one of the f- few stories with a possessive apostrophe. Yes. yes. Um, it might have been called The Demons of the King. I quite like that, The Demons of the King. Yeah. yeah. It's a more traditional yes, that, thing. That, that, that sounds like a Hartnell episode yeah. title, doesn't it? But we it? didn't really say about Frank Windsor, did we? We didn't say about Frank Windsor, no. no. That was an oversight, because he's, he's very good. Yes, he gets some... Uh, he gets... gets it's nice lines. to see him... You know, in in something, something else, because of course he's one of those people that just gets sort of lumbered with Z cars. Z cars, yeah. Well, that's uh, what made him sort of yeah. recognisable, wasn't yeah, it? But, so. um, and of course, later on, he comes back. He does. Um, but yeah, yes, there's cream of Brown Windsor. <laughs> something like that. Oh, sorry, cream of Scotland Yard. Yeah, get it right. <laughs> <laughs> but Ainley's doing some nice boggly-eyed acting, isn't yes. he? Yeah, Ainley's he's d- been... doing his full madness. Yes. Yes. And he really was that eccentric in real life. We yeah. met him several times and he was unfailingly like that. Yeah, seeing Anthony Ainley doing like sort of magic and bad magic, ma- bad magic bad acts magic. and things like that. Are very, it was very funny. Yes. Um, and he kissed you, kissed your he hand. He kissed my hand and yes. sang to me. Yes, that was and bizarre. And he, he gave us Murray, a Murray and Mint. Murray Mint. Paul wouldn't take one because he was afraid they were poisoned. Yeah. But, and <laughs> as he, he said, what an unexpected pleasure. Yes. Because... Keith got him to. Keith pulled him over because Paul was scared of him, and he yeah. said he, he came. He was coming up the stairs. We were queuing, queuing on some stairs to go to, to see somebody. I expect. Yeah. And um, he was coming up the stairs, and or, or we were on landing, whatever. Anyway, Keith said, "Excuse me, Mister Ainley, would, would you come and say hello to my friend Paul because he's scared of you?" And yeah. he walked up to Paul, and Paul had his video camera and directly into the lens. He yeah. said, "What an unexpected." What an unexpected. But, but Paul said he was protected from being hypnotised because yes. he was seeing him through a lens, through a lens. not 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 in yes. real, not in real life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's interesting that the story does sort of change. Obviously, it changes direction. When the master comes in, yes. and it's one of those stories that just seems to stop, yeah, isn't it? They, yeah. they all pile into the TARDIS, yeah. and that's the end. That's it. Yes. Um, yes. It's but there's the, no the, real resolution to it. And, and of course, you can feel like the five doctors sort of hard, hard on the heels of the story, can't yeah. you? Because everybody's talking about the thinks, Eye of Orion. Yeah. Yes. Um, so it's, it'd be, be interesting. It's beautiful there, apparently. Yeah, it looks like whales. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it always does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Isla Blair, of course. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Married to um, Julian Glover, who that's was right. King John. Yes. That's so a there nice, is a link. Nice little, nice little link. Yes. But, uh, you said about the sword fight. It was, yes. It's, it's a bit. Um, it's a bit slow. But then yeah. those swords are heavy, aren't they? They They're, look heavy, but they don't. Because in in studio, of yeah, course, you can't really you, have you're not anything. cutting away no. like you would on a right. on film or something like that. It's um, nice because it's all done in sort of 
but it's not done shot, 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 shot. It's done in sort done, of... Done in one go. One go. And so it's all it's, a bit lumbery. Yes. Pretty... But then it would be lumbery. Yeah. So it's heavy. You're not going to be nimble. And, you know, as much as it looks good when Errol Flynn runs up the stairs, <laughs> if you've got a big, heavy sword, you're not going to do that. I mean, really, they should be holding them with two hands because yeah. it would have been a big broadsword or, you know, so... I mean, heavy. Yeah, I mean, the mu- music's an interesting mi- mix of sort of synthesizers and a, a and few real instruments like drums and, yeah. and things like that, which yeah. which does help a bit. Oh, I we think. should say as well, Christopher Villas is in it, who later pops up in uh, Mummy on the Orient Express. Oh, right. Okay. Yes, indeed. Looking a bit older with not so much 80s hair. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I quite like it as a story. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh... And we should talk about Chameleon. All right. Chameleon. It's Chameleon's yes. first. Yeah. Um, appearance and it's a bit of a shame. In one of his only appearances. It is a bit out. of a shame. I mean, I'm, I know the circumstances were unfortunate that the, the, the chap that um, invented him was killed mm. and they couldn't really control it. But in some ways, it's a shame they didn't go for a man in a suit. Well, you don't even need a man in a suit. You just, you just need an actor. You just need a different actor. You could actors. get a different actor. There's so much scope. You could get a different yeah, actor in you, every week. You don't week. need to actually have him as a robot. No. Well, a, apart from that, well, you need a, an establishment shot yeah, of him as a robot. Yeah, but even so, he doesn't need to sit there no. emoting, does no. he? That's, that's the whole point. He can change shape. Mm. So. But yeah, I mean, think of the possibilities. You could, you could have had a sort of relatively famous guest star yeah i mean chameleon every week that would have blown their budget i guess it it is that thing that it's what we're we're talking 1983 and we're at the start of sort of the home computing Mm. revolution Mm -hmm. and i remember that sort of excitement that computers could do anything yeah um but in 1983 they can't really do anything because uh yeah the zx spectrum came out in Mm -hmm. 19 1983 and that was exciting Um, yeah but yeah you you see the things on like the computer program about what what the future's going to hold and uh yeah robotics wasn't i I mean yeah you you had sort of robots making cars and things like that 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 was quite new but yeah yeah, robots Mm. doing acting wasn't quite (laughs) wasn't quite gonna happen still robotics has moved on a lot yeah. but it's still not quite he's got wonderful boggly ways. eyes though he he? rolling them yes. all over the place i'm sure he's yes. a bit cross-eyed in some Possibly, shots yeah but. yeah but yeah i mean it's yeah it's chameleon i think opened up possibilities that weren't explored mm. um, well due to the circumstances yeah i suppose but, but with hindsight more could have been done with him yes. if you just sort of thought about it a bit i think <coughs> but, uh, excuse me sorry yeah. Yeah, but anyway, um, anything else on? No, on it's, it's a fun two-parter. Mm. Yeah, it's a fun two-parter. Yes, and oh, Michael J. Jackson blinks though after he's dead, doesn't oh, right, he? right, yeah. Which is it's hard. It's because they've got a sort of wide shot, and he's in the foreground. Yeah, bit, the camera's so. quite up close to him. Yeah. yeah, but never mind. But, uh, but yeah, not, yeah, 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 yeah I enjoyed that. Yeah, it's, 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 it's fun. Uh, it's fun. N- nothing too spectacular. No, but... no, and Gerald Flood is always fun. I've never, yeah. never not enjoyed a performance by Gerald Flood in anything. <laughs> Right, okay, and then we'll move on to The Awakening, I guess. Yes. Okay, see you soon again. Okay, bye bye. Bye -bye. The Awakening, part one. Yes, indeed. Doctor! (laughs) It goes off a little bit at the end. Polly James giving like the longest doctor ever. Doctor ever. (laughs) Apparently, it was supposed to blend into the end scene and it never got done. Yeah, it doesn't quite work. No. Yeah, what was it? I think Alan. I think it was, was it Alan Hayes or somebody on Sonic Waves. Uh, Polly James there proving that her lungs are dimensionally transcendental. <laughs> <laughs> but I really enjoyed that. Yeah, 
yes. Um, that's I very strong like first him. episode. Yes. I think. Because, yes. um, I mean, we've said we're doing the Davison historical two-parters. Two mm-hmm. And technically, it's not a historical two-parter. No, because it's present, present day, day, but with historical yeah. sort of costumes, really. Yes. And, uh, and, and And bits and pieces, yes. yes. But it's... Because Jane. Yes. I mean, obviously... It being filmed locally it yes. scores a few points. That's got a few points with me. I, yes. I'm, I'm, even now, I, I, I wish I'd known that they, they were doing they'd it. been filming it because mm. I, I, I would have been nice to, to actually go along. go along and see. And you could have probably done it in those days. Yes, it's a bit, a bit harder these days to get too close to filming. Yeah, and, still, and I know people can. do it, but mm. in those days it was, you know, as long but, as you didn't but you did, you didn't get the information in those days no. until like. Afterwards, until about <laughs> three years after it was shown. <laughs> <laughs> a bit late then. But yeah, but yeah, I I, I do like the awakening. Yes. Because um, it is, I mean, it's more in part two, but it it's got a bit of a sapphire and steely feel about yeah, it. Yeah, it has. Yeah, cause you've got you've got the sort of as it says, half blind man. Yeah, you've got elements of the past coming into, into the present into the present day yeah, yeah i mean that 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 figure that steals um tegan's, tegan's bag. incredibly small handbag bag, yeah <laughs> what do you think of her handbag yeah. I, i'm not sure what she can get in it really but change really yeah she's got Some she's notes. also got every color in the rainbow on her top as well she has well, but, you know, very very, very 1983 it's very yes yeah. it is filmed yes. in 83 yes shown in 84 of course yeah. um but mm. yeah i mean that's polly james it's another of those sort of female characters that they they pair up with Davison that yes. works really well. Yeah, he in works the same really way. well with a strong female yeah, character. In the same way as Nerys Hughes. Nerys Hughes, Kinder. yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually think it had they thought at the time, or oh, perhaps we could just give him one companion and give him a slightly older companion, mm. it would work really well. His Doctor works really well with that kind of character. And it's his last season there, yes. and I, I think D- Davison is playing the part. He's sort of approaching his peak of of yeah. of, of yeah. the character. He, mm. He's he's putting weird little slight touches into yes. it, like the thing with making the decision with a coin in the his coin, hand. Yes. And yeah. as as the production note said, well, he'd know which coin it was in because you feel it. But yes. it's just slightly mm. daffy yes. things like that. A bit odd. Um, mm. he, he's he's getting away with more, yeah, more eccentric sort of performance, yes. which I think really. Because really he's well. sort of regarded as the bland doctor, isn't he's he? Not. He's not. Um, mm. I, I say that is season nineteen is is, is interesting, as I said mm. earlier, and that it's going in lots of different directions. Season twenty is a bit plagued with problems, yes. um, strikes and things like mm. that. But season twenty one, although it, it also stronger. has mm. its problems, it, it's um, I think it's its peak. As I say, it's its peak sort of playing a yeah. part really i mean i really like him in frontios as well because yes. uh, he, he slightly sort of bonkers in that yeah. as well he wears the little glasses doesn't he yeah. in that? and uh, he's, he's very professory yeah but i mean i mean you, you you're with your historical sort of interests yes what do you think of civil war as a as it's a, an interesting a, time because it's very turbulent of course mm. you can imagine the idea that the malice feeds on psychic energy would really work in the civil war time because obviously there's going to be a lot of sort of turbulence between the two sides i mean i've been to the church 
If, if you did, did I don't you... know. We have been to the village. I don't think we've been. To, I went to the yeah. church. All right, yeah. I remember. I think we went. We waded through the little stream thing. Oh, that's at Tarrant Monkton. Yes, we yeah. went there as well. Oh, perhaps we... you went Tarrant Monkton as well. I, I, I honestly can't, I can't remember. remember. <laughs> no. I've been to one of them anyway. Because so. there's this thing. They're doing this thing that the, the there's three or four different Villages locations used yes. um, or jammed into and you know. <laughs> Joe Public never notices a no, damn thing. But of course, it, yeah. come to but if you know the location, yeah. you go, well, if they look that way, they wouldn't see that. No. Because um, mm. when they come out of the the church, mm. that's in Chabbick, and then mm-hmm. they, there's shots of the, the horse riders, and mm. you'd go, well, no, that shot is, is like, it's the road up to by where the pub is. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, the geography is, is, all, a, is yeah. all a big fake. But on, yeah. on screen, if you didn't know, it's... No. it's it all it all knits together quite well, I think. Yeah. I so. mean, in some ways, it's a shame that it isn't actually set in Civil War times. Mm. Yeah, because that would give that the the Tinklavik that would be even more. Yeah. Weird then if they found Tinklavik in the seventeenth century. And what about Will Chandler? Any uh, any relation to Paul Chandler? I don't think he is. No, no. is he not? No, no, I like Will Chandler. He's all right. He's he's, yeah, he's, I, he's I, got a bit of an Uar accent. Yeah, there but, there is that. Uh, that uh, oh, you've been in there. Or, oh, sir, oh, you yeah. know, sir, I don't know, and then yeah. all that, all that yeah. stuff. But uh, that's just that's your that's your television yokel. Te- television it? Dorset, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's I like it. It's a really good, strong episode. Yeah. And I I definitely saw this at the time, and I will talk more about this. We've talked about it before, but I will talk more about this after the next episode because yeah. it directly relates to something that happens oh, in yes, the next I episode. Oh. My memory. Well, should we, should we go on so with we'll part two then? So we'll watch the next episode okay. and come we'll back and talk about soon. it. See you then, then. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. The Awakening, part two. Yes. And I have to say, production <laughs> manager, well, one of two production managers, yes. Liz Truebridge. Yes. Who is the, as far as I know, the nearest person um, who's ever worked on Doctor Who with the surname Trowbridge. Okay, yeah, fine. <laughs> and I remember <laughs> noting that at the time. I yes. went, oh, that's quite close to my name. <laughs> but really good final episode, yes, I thought. very strong, yeah. A lot, a lot yes. going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really like the sort of, it's one of those stories with imagery that sticks in kids' heads. Yes. There's the face in the yes. wall with the glowing eyes the little, roaring. And the little mini malice smoke coming out well you got oh yeah because you remember the mini mouse i remember the mini mouse yes because i remember (laughs) no no relation to mini mouse when it when it all the green gunge comes out of his mouth after he cuts the psychic connection the Mm. doctor i remember thinking oh that's not very nice (laughs) but i don't know if it was on the original transmission or on the repeat because this has got a repeat repeat is in 1984 yes yes. yeah so i think it might have been on the repeat to be honest it was on twice that year yeah Yeah. so i think jane was your friend. My Jane. friend Jane was watching it with me and we went, oh, Hello Jane. Hello Jane, if you're listening. You cannot listen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it's one of the, it's a style of story, I think, that the Davis Nera could have done more of. Yes. Frankly. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it it's slightly weird. Um Yes, it, it, the you've got the sort of twinkly stars of the yes. Very, BBC very, Micro. Very sort of mid eighties. But but, but uh, what's being attempted there is is like sort of psychic folklore or yeah, or, or, yeah. or sort of slightly odd stuff. Yes. Um, it's yeah. interesting to see that David Reed did some memos saying yeah. be careful about the horror content. Yeah. Well, quite frankly, 
I don't think they went fair enough. The series could have done with more of it. Um, So, yeah, that's um, interesting the way the the BBC was... Yes, worrying about things. A a bit worried about showing that. I mean, this was was seven o'clock at at night, so it's not like it's early early kids' slot, is it? It's around the the time of the starting of, of... of mass hysteria about video nasties, I guess. So perhaps they were worried about that sort of thing. Maybe. But I don't... I wasn't horrified by it. Just a bit, like, disgusted, mm. really. And we haven't said about Dennis Lill and... Uh, uh, Dennis Lill, yeah. Dennis Lill giving a great performance. But what is he? He's about the fourth actor to be up for the yeah, part of St. George. Yeah, Anthony Valentine, Charles Can Gray. you see Anthony Valentine I can see that. Anthony Valentine playing that part. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah I can. Because at this point in his well, this point on, until his death, unfortunate his unfortunate death, Anthony Valentine only really plays villains. Mm. Having played, actually, no, he's always really played villains. Raffles is the only character really that Anthony well, Valentine even plays. Well, he's not on the right side of no, the law. No, but he's not an out and out rotter, is he? He's no. not like you know. But I can see him playing this part. But, yes, but nice model shot at the end of yeah. the exploding church. Yeah, um, and Glyn Houston's in it. Yes. And he's always good. Of course. Mention, like Glenn Houston. Mention of ale. There's yes. not enough mentions of ale not in Doctor Who. Not mention of beer in Doctor Who, no. <laughs> no that's, that's good. <laughs> um, Tegan's grandfather, though. Yes. How does um, Tegan's family tree work? I don't know. It's a bit she's, weird. She's, she's Australian. She's Australian. Our Aunt Vanessa's Australian. Yeah. Yeah. But, so her grandfather's got to be on her mother's side, we yes. presume. Yeah. And then there's her cousin as well. Yeah. Always um, Australian. Yeah. But you don't know how many aunts and uncles she's got. No. So, because you don't know, I, I'm assuming Aunt Vanessa's not his daughter. Yeah. Because no. he, he doesn't seem perturbed <laughs> at all. Um, but I think it's quite nice that you learn you, about her family over time. Yes, it's all sort of, I mean, you learn more about her family than you ever do about any other yeah, companion's family. Yeah, it's quite a mod- modern the, thing, actually, yeah, to see in, in classic other, other family members. Yeah. I mean, but I I mean the only other exception to that is Turler, whose brother we'll meet in a few stories' time. Yeah, But, yeah, I mean, I, I really, I've, I've always liked this story. I mean, it's a shame it's, in some ways, it's not really talked about more. No, um, no. And but, it probably could. You probably could have, because it mentions that it was initially meant to be a four-part story, and I'm sure you could yeah, do four I, I, episodes. I, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It seems, three, maybe. it seems too short at a two, yeah. but at a four, it would probably be too long. So, so maybe a three. So maybe a three, but yeah. unfortunately, the way the show they was being made then. No. at the time, you couldn't no. do a three-parter, really. But yeah, it's, it's, I really like it. Mm. It's yeah. always been one of my favourites. Yes. Yeah, it's a, so yeah, a, a, a good a good two parter to finish on. I yes, think in, yeah, in I, this all. I I think out of all of the Davison two parters, this one's my favourite. Yeah, closely followed by the King's Demons, which is just fun. Yeah, and okay. and, and it's got fruity Gerald Fru- Flood fruitiness. <laughs> we like G- fruity Gerald Flood. Okay, well there so, we are then. I think okay. I think that's been interesting to go through yes, those three stories. They, you know, there's three very different approaches to history, isn't yes. it? Yes, they've uh, all got history. I didn't actually even connect that until today. That all of the Davison two parters have some sort of historical content. Yeah, in but them. it's it's three different ways of of doing it. Of doing yeah, it. And, it's strange. And mm. yeah, it's, it's it's Davison works well in history. He does. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there we go. Yes, we enjoyed it. Watch oh, it. All we'll good, enjoy it too. All good fun. Yes. See you then. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. And thank you to us. Well, those articles. You can't, say, you can't thank us. Well, nobody else is going to thank us, are they? <laughs>
I suppose not. A couple of slips of the tongue, though, there, weren't there? Yes. 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 Um, Julian Glover. Play King John. Uh, King Richard. <laughs> Julian Glover. King Richard. Played King Richard. King Richard not the Lionheart, not King John. I've got King John the brain, though, for some reason. Oh, yeah. Brush him off. <laughs> also, um, up for Sir George in The Awakening, mm-hmm. it was Charles K. Yes, not, not Grey. Charles Grey. I don't know why I said Charles Grey. I don't know. No. <laughs> um, but I think we should talk about the Shapwick monster. We should. Or the Shabbick monster, mm-hmm. depending on how Dorset you want to sound. Mm-hmm. Um well, The Awakening was filmed in Shabbick. And Martin. And Martin. Mm. And the malice was the monster in Shabbick. But yes. there is actually an expression, a Shabbick monster. Mm-hmm. It's about something that you encounter that's unknown or right. unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. And this is um, one of those sort of folklore stories that depends on what source you go to. Yes. Um, the details vary. Much like yes. a John Pertwee story, yes. where the details would vary over time. <laughs> as Barry Letts used to say Uh, but there's there's a legend um, that a travelling fishmonger was travelling through Shabbick Mm -hmm. and dropped now it's either a lobster or a crab or possibly a tortoise why would he have a tortoise? I don't know why he'd have a tortoise unless it was his pet then he should have dropped it that's very careless um, we'll say it's a lobster but we'll we'll return to the crab idea as well okay um and the the villagers had never seen this sort of a uh, lobster before, no. so well, they there's of, no reason why they should have seen so the lobster. So they came across it and sort of poked yeah. at it with sticks. Um, poor lobster. Poor lobster. And they sent for the wise man of the village, right. and he couldn't walk very well, no. so he was brought to the scene in a wheelbarrow or a handcart, or possibly a handcart. Yeah. And he t- sort of looked at this thing, and he thought about it, and he eventually pronounced that this was a monster. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Helpful. Given that he was the wise man of the village. That's that's a little bit worrying, isn't it? And, um, yeah, some versions say that the fishmonger uh, came back looking for his lobster. And when he saw the... Or tortoise. Or crab. uh, Picked it up, continued on his way, and spread the story about the people of Shabbick being a bit simple. Yeah. (laughs) You can't really disagree with that, can you? There is a farm called Crab Farm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, at Shabbat, which has got a weather vane, mm-hmm. um, which has got the crab on it, and you can see the villagers and the bloke in the wheelbarrow. And, and a dog, apparently. And there seems to be a dog, yeah. yeah. If you look on... Uh, Even the dog knows what it is. Yeah, if you look on the, on Shabbat's uh, Wikipedia page, there's a nice picture of the weather vane. Right. Um, but yeah, that's just a very silly story, it but it it's not one that's on the DVD subtitles, no, so I no. thought it was worth sharing. No, did the information text Mr. Out? Yes, um, no. it is mentioned in the Dorset Folklore book by John Simmons Udall, mm-hmm. which uh, was published in 1922, but he right. began work on this book a lot earlier than that. In mm-hmm. fact, it's, it's even got a foresay in it, mm-hmm. which is like a foreword, yes. by um, Dorset dialect poet. William Barnes. Okay, who's got the most magnificent beard you have ever seen. Yes. And given that William Barnes died in 1886, you can <laughs> tell, <laughs> you can tell that this book took a long time to yeah. finish, to be finished. Yeah. But, yes. uh, it's sort of contemporary with Thomas Hardy, but Thomas Hardy is more Thomas famous. Hardy's a little later. Well, um, yeah. But their life, life they, times they, they cross. Do yeah, yeah, if you go on uh, Wikipedia, there are some readings of William Barnes' poetry. Which Make is, sure you get a proper Dorset one, but, though. Yes, it, it, 
if if you like your Dorset sort yeah. of, um, you won't understand what you're saying. But possibly what you're not. About but they were, they were, I mean, he wrote something like eight hundred poems. Wow. Not all of them in Dorset dialect, no. but there we go. Um, anyway, uh, moving on, we now do uh, the nineteen eighties season poll. Yes. Well, part one of it, mm-hmm. as we've only really got room on this issue for the Peter Davison years. Yeah. Otherwise, it'll be longer than War and Peace. Yeah, the other season poll stuff, which will be the rest of the 80s, and indeed we're going to do the 60s, will mm-hmm. be on future issues. Yeah. Um, so you'll have to listen out. Yeah, so Warren will join us now to mm-hmm. help with that. Yeah. Then after that, we've got an interview with uh, uh, Lisa Parker, well, I who's believe. Who's that? Well, not Liz Parker. Not Liz Parker, no. Because somebody once asked whether you were Liz Parker they who did. did the music for Time Lash. And I went, um, no. no. But you're going to talk about being a, a lady fan. A lady fan, when it wasn't fashionable to be mm. a lady fan. So we'll go straight into that, yeah. and then we'll come back and have some more stuff. So yes. see you soon then. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello. 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 Ooh, yes. <laughs> we are back on the sofa. Yes. To do we are the 1980s. Yes. Of yes. Doctor Who. Oh, the Doctor 80s. Who. Yes. So same format as before. Yes. Absolutely. I'll le- I'll read out the list of stories per season, and we'll say what we like best. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Season 19. Castrovalva, Fort Doomsday, Kindar, The Visitation, Black Orchid, Earthshock, and Time Flight. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Lisa. 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 Uh, the visitation. Okay. Because I like the historical aspects. I like Richard Mace. Um, the pterodactyls are a very interesting monster. Mm-hmm. And I, I was about nine, eight or nine. Mm-hmm. Oh, about nine when this went out, and I think we. Just before or just after we did The Great Fire of London and I had to really stop myself from telling them that the Doctor had started The Great Fire of London. <laughs> so, yeah, that's okay. why. Warren, I've got a joint first Ooh. and I think you know what I'm going to go for here. I've got half an idea, but go on. Okay, you've got half the idea of... Okay, so you're going to, you'll know I'm going to go for Earthshock. Right. And I also am going to go for Visitation. Oh, okay. I really like Visitation and... Mainly for the for the reasons Lisa said for the historical a- aspect, and it's a fun story. Mm-hmm. There's lots of jeopardy, lots of peril, and we know that the, the Black Death's got to be stopped somehow as well. How it's mm-hmm. sorry created, and uh, we know roughly around the time zone we are. So we are a reference to the Great Fire has got to be in there somewhere, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. But that 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 the, the lovely way that the the storyline just connects together is quite good as well. It's quite fluid. But Earthshock, on the other hand, the only Cyberman story I'd ever seen before then was Revenge of the Cybermen. And they never quite convinced me, the Cybermen in that. Um, and dang, blast it. Yes, Earthshock, wow. Mm-hmm. That was almost cinematic in its production, wasn't it? Yeah. it it's um, it's Peter Grimwade. And I know that he's very precise. And I know it can get up the nose of some of the cast. But boy, did he, he pull that one out of the hat. And a cracking script by Eric Seward. And um, there's a few things that are a little amiss, like miscasting, perhaps. We won't mention names. But, yeah, that had a tremendous impact. Okay. Well, my vote is also for Earthshock. Um, Again, it was astonishing to see 
the Cybermen return and it was very very exciting uh, I remember they did a little piece on did you see um, which mentioned the return of the Cybermen but I I do like all the sort of dinosaur stuff as well um, it, yes it's incredibly well shot considering how many setups they're they're doing in that studio session it's amazing it was even finished again it's, yeah. it's one of these really really ambitious stories but we're you know we're, we're still in the early 80s here and you'd had the master come back in the previous season um, but to see the Cybermen just suddenly appear because I had no idea that's the thing it was such I a well-kept secret yeah. as well that, that was the thing the, the story title gives nothing away and the whole thing about keeping it a secret I mean yes you could argue that maybe the publicity of the proposed Radio Times cover it might have been a good thing but no. the, in terms of sitting there and just watching it happen the, Im um, the impact's tenfold isn't yes it? That, that's the thing so and I think it's again it's one of those stories that's I think fell out of favour a bit for being uh, a bit too straight down the line there's no, there's nothing particularly odd or strange about it no. and um, it's just a straightforward action adventure um, and it's arguable Except that for the ending mm, but it's it's arguable that um, the show tries to rewrite this same story several times with with various other adventures but this is the first and by far the best best versions so we'll move on to season 20 Ark of Infinity Snake Dance Mordrin Undead Terminus Enlightenment The King's Demons and I'll throw in the Five Doctors as it was mm. 1983 okay. Lisa do you want to go first again? Uh, oh I'm probably going to have to say Enlightenment. Okay. Because I like all the period feel for that one. Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting idea. You like, you like a field. I do like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Marin is a really, really interesting character. Okay. So, yeah, it's just, it's got a nice yeah. sort of period feel to it, even though it's not period. Yeah. Okay. So. Oh, this is really boring. boring. I'm sorry about this. Mm. Enlightenment. Okay. Hands down. Um, yep, we could throw in Snake Dance there. Uh, and if you wanted to do, for the sake of um, nostalgia, the Brigadier and Mulder and Undead, but no, Enlightenment, mm. absolutely. I think um, that it's taking that concept of where they're on the, on, the, um, on, on, the, on the ship. And then suddenly realising you're in space and taking that concept and said that there's absolutely no reason why we can't have the solar winds powering these wonderful creations. And uh, it's got the black and white guardian. <laughs> That's the white guardian, by the way. Yeah, gonna, uh, <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. Um, I, everybody is convincing in that. And I like the way you were talking about Mariner's love affair with Tegan. Yeah, and it's almost. He almost. It's, 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 this is probably a little bit serious, but it's almost an assault on her. The way he goes into her mind without being asked. Absolutely. Yeah, and he's very childlike, isn't he? Yes, that and he, he doesn't see what he's done wrong. He can't see it at all. There's no uh, concept of um, how his alienness is not acceptable yeah. for, for from a human prospect. Prospect, but it's a wonderful little yarn. Hmm. 
a lot of fun, a lot of fun in it. Yeah. But there's a lot of serious sub stories going on there as well, isn't there? There is. Yes. Well, uh, my vote is also for enlightenment. Hooray! This is uh, yes, three out of three here. Uh, it's one of those stories with a really strong central visual thing when you keep cutting back to the sailing ships in space it's one of those stories that i think if you were a kid you know they say they say people say do you remember the one with the spiders do you remember the one when the monsters came out of the sea this is surely do you remember the one when the ships were in space Mm -hmm. and and that that's and it's pulled off really well um it's an ambitious idea and had the model work you know not really worked then it, it, yeah. It, it, yeah, it, it would have let down the story but yeah. the fact they do pull it off yeah. I, li- I like the fact that so much of it is is studio stuff but then you suddenly get the the is it the end of part two where they go up on deck, on, on the deck. and yeah. they're suddenly on film yeah and that set and, and, the, so much, and, and yeah. the view you're getting of of space it's is infinite. is really well pulled off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's a it's a great great idea. And there's a lot of Doctor Who regulars in that, isn't there? There's um, well, my head's my head's just gone blank at that point. Um, well, in in terms of actors, you yes, know. yes. Sorry. Well, who's who's in this one, Lisa? You're good at uh, actors. Well, Tony Coulter. Tony Coulter. That's the one I was going to yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, but he's appeared since he, Rescue. Um, sorry, not Rescue. Sorry. Um, uh, he's in Colony in Space. Colony in Space. He's yeah. also in. Yeah. Um, oh, I'll come to you later. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, and also you get the um, the late Keith Barron, who is yeah. absolutely yes. superb. Yes. yes. And. I have to say, and uh, you know, I love Peter Salis, but I can't imagine him doing that part. Yeah, in that way, because Keith Barron is a he's late a replacement. Late replacement. Yeah. It's yeah. the way he yeah. just—he's uh, so cold. Yeah, it's and sort then of stillness. Goes, Welcome yeah. aboard. Yeah. Mm. And this is this, this flicker of humanity, and then he goes cold again, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Isn't Tony Corner also in the Crusade? That's it, the Crusade. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. the one. Yes. Okay. There we go. Then three yeah. out of three. But an honourable oh. mention also for the Five Doctors. Okay. Which is. Oh. For nostalgia and for the seeing all of the doctors, apart from you know Rich Turnbull being a standing for Harnell, it's you know it's that's a real thing. Oh, it's all the doctors, it's all the companions, it's you know it's honourable runner-up through its history, yes. isn't it? it yeah. It's not meant to be serious. No, but then again, is any Doctor Who story meant to be taken seriously? No, not really. No. Oh, the five doctors. Then, if you're mentioning it, was the first story I audio recorded. All right, okay. I sat there that night with the tape recorder hmm. jammed up against the TV speaker <laughs> and uh, hoped it would work and it I, did yep. and I just played it back so many times yeah. mm-hmm. I bought the book about two or three days before oh, yes, you could get the book beforehand yeah I read it? the yeah. book yeah and um, yeah because the book's nothing that, like... that's interesting how did what turned <clears> up on screen compare to what you'd read do you remember it Feeling different, or yes, I did. Um, I was slightly disappointed with the screen version mm. because I do like Terence's. Terence's books are easy, aren't they? Yeah. But um, there are things in the book that um, were much better than mm. say what appeared on screen. But you have to look at when we are. We're in the eighties. We're coming out of recession, aren't we? And building up. They've just had a cracking uh, season, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Mm. 
and then all of a sudden you've got oh crikey we got to wrap this this <laughs> anniversary one out and we got to get out what we can but you know you've got the staple things haven't you you've got a cold quarry yeah mm-hmm. uh, you've got nasty monsters you've got lovely doctors coming back yeah. again you've got um a baddie who's actually this this is interwoven now into the history of the time laws isn't yeah. it mm-hmm. because it's barusa mm-hmm and we have the game of Rassilon. This is the game of Rassilon. <laughs> Why have you come here? That's my impressions. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, it's an evening of impressions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Uh, Very anyway. Uh, <laughs> You'll go next, Lisa. Okay. Season 21. <laughs> <laughs> With the Warriors of the Deep, The Awakening, Frontios, Resurrection of the Daleks, Planet of Fire, The Caves of Androzani, The Twin Dilemma. I think we should remove a story from there and say we can't comment on that particular story. Okay, which story is that then? I think we should take caves out of the whole equation. Okay, why? Because well, it's always top of the pole. It's always top of the pole, and I don't think you can top it. So, mm. what would you go for a close second? Oh, because I so, know I think we're all going to go for caves, aren't we? Okay, mm. are right. we? Are we going to go for caves? Well, I don't know if I was actually. Oh, that's as a much nice as case. I love caves of Antrazani, and I do love caves of Antrazani. Um, I think I'd probably go for um, The Awakening. Okay. <laughs> Which you know a bit about, don't you? I do know a bit, and that's why I'm going for it yeah. as well. All right. So, it's just a really nice story. It's it's a quintessentially English yeah. story, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a, a little it's village. A, yeah, it's a little proper Doctor Who story. Absolutely, Little yes. village, alien menace, yeah. nutter. Nutter. That's all you need. Yeah. Uh, reenactments. Yeah. So you've got your nutters dressed up. Yeah. Um, amazing powers coming from emanating within the village church. Mm-hmm. Horse uh, destroying the gate. Horse destroying the gate and uh, producer running on holding head. Yeah. <laughs> getting a golden egg. Yeah. Um, but, but but that, tell us about um, actually seeing the filming. Yeah, the, the, the crew were staying in a place called Coombissip. Uh, the filming was taking place in a little village called Martin and also taking place in a village called Shapwick. Mm-hmm. Um, Martin's on the Dorset Hampshire border. And Shapwick is definitely, almost certainly, in is Dorset. Is it not Shapwick? Uh, I call it Shapwick, but it's it, it, Shapwick, yeah. Okay. I shouldn't <clears> say that as an as an outsider, as a grockle. Grockle, yeah. yeah. Damn grockles. <laughs> um, so my uh, my apologies, because I've only recently, I was only recently been to Shapwick. All right. Um, but I, I went to shooting at Martin, and I also uh, went along the main Sixpenny Hanley Road towards Hanley Cross, where you have the horses galloping in the early, early scene, the opening scenes actually. So they were uh, galloping along, and they were filming from the soft tired. Is that on the A three five four, the main road? That's or? it yeah. from Crown, uh, from Cre- uh, Creech Hill. Yeah. To the roundabout. Sorry, a little bit of uh, local banter. Local there. roads there. <laughs> um, they were using the soft, the soft tired two um, CV. All right. And shooting out the back of that, and there is a publicity shot yeah. of them shooting that, and the car coming the other way is being driven by my mum, mum, and I'm in it. Right. <laughs> wow! And, uh, and that's Peter on the DVD, isn't it? On that the is photo actually, gallery. yeah, that's yeah. on the photo gallery. And uh, saw Peter Davison. Yeah. Saw him in Martin. Yeah. He was running up and down the main road when it was closed. <laughs> right. Um, we did sort of gloss over it, and I am going to say the caves of Androzani yeah, for me, yeah. uh, just because it's a fantastic end for Peter Davison's Doctor. Yeah. It is. I, I feel it is a shame that he didn't do another season because I feel he really nails the character. Um, 
in season 21. Um, but yeah, Graham Harper's direction. Well, is, it's fabulous. It's absolutely fabulous. fantastic. He's outstripping anybody else at that absolutely. time. Absolutely. And again, he, he's somebody that's pushing the system to the absolute limit. Um, and it would—it probably felt like absolute mayhem if you were actually working on the show. It's, <laughs> yeah. like, it's this little whirling bundle of energy. Runs uh, past you. But you needed it then, didn't you? Yeah. The 10 o'clock's, 10 o'clock's creeping up. Someone's standing by the big switch. Yeah. Switch it all off. I've got to get it all in the can. Yeah. But yeah, Androzani is my main one, but I removed it because mm. I didn't want to go along with it. No, the... I'm, I'm glad you did talk about some other things as well. Yeah. So yeah, I mean... Yes, Androzani always wins Bob polls as well, isn't it? Um, but yeah, it's an absolute triumphant return for for Bob to the show. Yeah. Um, and, and didn't you think that the Doctor had regenerated halfway through the story because you knew it was a regeneration story, but you weren't sure when he was going to regenerate? Yeah. Well, mm. um, I'm trying to remember because there was a cl- there was the end of episode three. Where the spaceship is heading towards the... And he has a premonition, doesn't he? Yeah, but um, there was a clip on Blue Peter of a crashed spaceship from A Twin Dilemma. Because there's a bit when the Colin and Nicola are walking through um, the sort of remains of the, the crashed ship of... Um, is it Hugo? Hugo yeah. Lang. Yeah. And I... Because I'd seen this crashed spaceship, I thought the spaceship was going to crash in part four and the Doctor was going to regenerate wow. into Colin then. and Which would have been a really but, interesting yeah, idea. Yeah. And I can't see the reason why this hasn't been grasped upon. Yeah. Why can you not have a Doctor regenerate mid-story? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. but interesting one, anyway. Anyway. I'm sure there's a good reason. Hello. Hello. Lisa is on the sofa. I am on the sofa. <laughs> That's not unusual. Nothing changes, does <laughs> no, it? not really. But you wanted to talk about being a fan. Yes. And being a girl fan. Yes. And being a girl fan in the 80s. Yes, when there weren't many girl fans. And the 90s, I and guess. And the 90s. Yes. And, and the 2000s. <laughs> and 70s, probably. All right. Most of the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> so tell, me, tell us about your... Fan career. My, what, my fan it? career. Yeah. Is it a career? It is. Okay. Well, if only they paid us, it would oh, be yeah, brilliant. brilliant. Um, my, so, what's your earliest memories of the show? My earliest memories of the show. Now, I, I should just state because it's, it's, it's a. I always think it's a bit embarrassing that I don't really remember much of the Tom Baker era, mm. but it was because we used to visit my grandparents every Saturday. Right. So I would have been at their house, yeah. and therefore probably not able to watch Doctor Who, not allowed what? to have the television on. Why didn't they watch it? No. 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 So what did you do? So, yeah, so I didn't really st- start seeing it properly until the Davison, early right. Davison era, okay. when it went weekdays. Yeah. So my earliest memories, my actual, my clearest earliest memory of Doctor Who mm. is, um, uh, oh God, the visitation. Right, well, the original. The original thing, because... Yeah. The last episode, when the see, everything catches on fire, and then yeah. you get that shot of Pudding Lane. Yeah, we were doing the Great Fire in London at school. Right. So well, I don't know if it was the next day or whenever it was, but I had to really resist hard because I, although I, I'd seen it and I thought, oh God, the Doctor started the Great Fire in London. I knew he really didn't start the Great Fire in London, <laughs> but that's what I remember. Right? We How old would you have been at this I would point? have been about eight or nine depending on what what time what part of the year uh, is it shown visitation is 1982 1982 i'll be nine then so you would have been nine, nine. that's yeah. right yeah so yeah <laughs> so i have this really strong memory of, of going to school and, and we're doing the great for our london i knew about 
Square Fire London because the doctor started it. All right, okay. Fighting the Terraleptils. <laughs> but so. do you recall? Were you a fan at that point? I or? must have been because yeah. my mum used to read me a chapter and a bit or two chapters mm. of Doctor Who every night. Yeah. Of like Terence Dick's Target books or whatever. And she would, uh, I think we must have got them from the library. So I must have been a fan. And that must have been before I was nine because yeah. I would have been sort of starting to get a bit sort of old for bedtime stories okay. at that point. I would have been doing it myself. Um, but what she used to do, there was, a, she, there was a shelf above my bed. And she'd read me a chapter or two and you'd leave it on a cliffhanger because yeah, a lot, right. lot of yeah. Terence's chapters end on a little cliffhanger. And she would go downstairs and I would wait till she'd gone downstairs then I'd get the book and see what happened next. <laughs> you still do that now. Yeah, it's so terrible. It's a terrible habit. <laughs> you flick through books. I flick through books and find out what happens at the end. Yeah. And that's where it started. I see. Yeah. So, and then in... Um, but not, did, did you know any other fans? No, not really. Did you talk about it with other people? We used to play it in the garden hmm. with me and um, my eldest two nieces, Michelle and Vicky. Hello, Michelle and Vicky, if you're listening. Yeah. And Russell, who yeah. will be coming... We've done an interview... Yes. It will be coming up at some point. We in the did next an interview with him ages ago. We just haven't got around yes, to. Got there's been no room yet. for it yet. No. But he will be. Um, yeah, and we used to play Doctor Who in in the garden, and I it was it was the early Pisces era because um, he'd only just regenerated, and then he regenerated because I I was the I was the Doctor because I knew everything about Doctor Who. All right. Um, so I was the Doctor. And I was like the first girl Doctor, <laughs> so I beat Jodie Whittaker by about thirty odd years yeah. there, and. Michelle and Vicky were Nissa and Tegan. Yeah. And Russell, we always wanted Russell to be Adric. Right. But Russell liked Fraggles. Right. And the only way you could get him to play, he was only about three or four, <laughs> um, was to let him be a Fraggle. <laughs> so basically, he would hide under a chair and be a Fraggle. And we'd just let him get on with it. Okay. And we'd be in the so TARDIS. So he didn't actually do anything? No, he'd just sit under a chair and be a Fraggle. <laughs> <laughs> we'd, we'd be in the TARDIS and then we'd because I like dinosaurs as well yeah. we'd get invaded by a dinosaur and that was basically it and then we, then we went and did something else <laughs> so okay. that's as far as the game went but I started um, senior school in 1983 mm-hmm. and I was obviously a fan by then because it it's the anniversary year Yeah, and I remember a lot of stuff I saw I think it was either DWM or, or Radio Times it was probably DWM the 20th anniversary special and it was quite a lot of money, really, whatever it was. But to me, at that age, it was quite a lot of money. Mm. But I must have asked really nicely, and it got bought for me. Yeah. And I had the poster, I think it was a poster in it, of the Dr. Tegan and Turlow. Oh, yes. Yeah, and I, I had that yeah. poster on my wall for many years, yeah. getting progressively um, more ragged. Was that your only Doctor Who poster? Uh, yeah, I think it was. Because I know yeah. Elaine had a, Elaine a room. Elaine had a whole room of them. And yeah. I had quite a few. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I might have had more, but that's the only one I really remember. Um, but so, yeah, as I say, I started um, senior school in, in September 1993. And I had, a when I started, I had this, well, I don't know, weird plastic briefcase. And I, I remember opening it up and I had a Target book in it before the, the, the class started. Mm. And I got this Target book out and started to read it. And there was a, a, a boy there in the class and he looked at it and he looked at me and he went, said to me, you can't be a Doctor Who fan. And I sort of looked at him and said, why? And he said, well, you're a girl. And girls can't be Doctor Who fans. Ooh. And I think I just sort of looked away and ignored him. Yeah. So, 
But I remember looking for do- Target books in the like, school library. Did that make you determined to be it more just, of a it, fan? It just made me think, what? Why Why can't I be a Doctor Who fan? There's no reason why I can't be a Doctor Who fan because I'm a girl. This, and it never occurred to me that I couldn't be a Doctor Who fan. <laughs> so, yes, he probably did. So, he, he is probably the reason I'm still a Doctor Who fan. Okay. Because I sort of went, yeah, right, whatever. <laughs> so, so, I remember when we went, we there was... Um, a reunion at school a few years ago and I went back with Jane and her husband and we one of the first things we did was go to the library and see what we could find the target books yeah. and there was one there it probably wasn't the same one it would probably been yeah, renewed yeah, but nice. uh, yeah so I used to get some target books but I mean I didn't meet you until 93 so what yes. happened in those intervening years how did you I, how did you? I mean, I know you joined. You joined the Dwarfs. I joined the Dwarfs after ha- Doctor Who's finished. But how did you know about the Dwarfs? I, I I don't know. I must have seen them for in DWM or something. I but, guess I must have bought. Because I joined the Dwarfs in eighty four, and there was an advert in DWM then. Yeah, uh, I'd not heard of the Dwarfs until I think I'd read Doctor Who: A Celebration that mm. came out in. 83 yeah. and I, I wasn't really aware that there was such a thing no. as a fan organisation I don't know how I found about it after, but I, it's a good thing I did because we wouldn't be sitting here if I hadn't well that's true because <laughs> um, I saw uh, the review of um, Ray Face Shift 6 that's which right. was the yeah. Graham Williams tribute yeah, yeah. So it was, it was about 91, 92 yeah I mean we, we, we covered this a bit on yeah. our Connections article yeah. in episode Twelve, yeah. but um, do you remember um, nineteen eighty five, for example, the the show the, being cancelled? The cancellation. I yeah. remember not really. This is going to sound really awful, and I'm sure he won't hear this. But if he does hear this, I'm really sorry, Colin Baker. Mm. But I remember seeing the news report of of Sylvester coming in, yeah. and thinking, "Oh, gr- oh, good, yeah, it's a new start." All right. So, so I must have seen Colin's stuff. So I must have known so about the cancellation. did you write a letter to the BBC? No, I was only twelve. No, I'm a bit older, so, so I, I remember have, writing a letter. No, I wouldn't have written a letter. No, no. <laughs> no but it's you know. But you, you said about that picture of Davison. You said yes. about about did, oh, you said something about yes. rate, rating the rating, doctor or yes, something. What, yes. what was Teenage all this about? Girls. I had got these stickers from somewhere and I had this thing, I had po- different posts on them, I guess, and I had this thing of, I used to rate pe- men, not people, men, out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> I really embarrassed. Do I want to hear this? And yeah, no, and it's and I had this thing where I'd, I'd rated, or I'd, whatever it was, I'd rated Davison and, and Mark Strickson and Davison got the higher mark, obviously, because he was the doctor. Right. So only right. Be- so he, he was, was better. better. Yeah. <laughs> But obviously, I think I'd probably seen him in Campion by that point as well. Yeah. So I quite liked him. I, I grew out of it after yeah. a while. I mean, don't get me wrong; he's a perfect, he's, he's a really nice person um, and a great actor. But that's as far as it goes. Well, you said you remember Sylvester coming in. Yeah. But let, let's jump forward to 1989. Yes. Um, were you aware of like? sort of the BBC's attitude to the show or no. the fact that it might not come no, back in 1990. No. And I'd, really, I'd really got back into it and I'd started buying Doctor Who magazine mm. and I guess that's where I got the advert for um, The Dwarfs. The yeah. um, and I started, I started buying the videos in the early 90s as well. All right. Um, oh, you well got as, them from Smiths? I got them from Smiths, yeah, because yeah. I used to go in there and see what ones they had and if they didn't have the latest one they would order it in for you. Right. 
and then they'd send you a postcard to show you how long ago it was you didn't have email or anything like that they'd send you a postcard to say we've got your video but they kept sending but they kept i kept getting one in um i can't remember which one it was now i think it might have been the mind drawer or something like that and I had to keep going in and saying, no, you've, I've got this one. Stop sending me postcards. <laughs> they were keen to I'm, sell it to you more than buy once. Again. Well, you were probably the only regular I probably Doctor was. Yeah. customer. Yeah. I don't know. Because I remember going in there and getting time lash and grinning at the back cover of, because it says, um, pe- you know, um, most people like to depart with a screen on the back <laughs> of it. Because so, I think I was aware by that point. That was that was a bit later on, much yeah. later on. That time but you had the repeats the in, what, ninety. 1992, yes. wasn't it? And I remember um, watching those. Mm. That was very exciting. Yeah, seeing lots of stories. Because how much old seen. stuff had you seen? Not that much. Not that much. No, because I had no access to fandom or, pro- or pirate videos, pirate videos or anything. No, no I, you know, I know because you were in a group. I, I did join a Doctor Who group, yeah. but not for quite a long while later. And the first meeting I went to was their last meeting. All right, okay. Because they wound <laughs> up because there were no people joining. You're always late to the party with these things, aren't I you? Am. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> excuse me sorry so but yeah um i used to when we got cable whenever that was mid 90s i guess mm. i started recording doctor who off um uk gold yeah and i had this little book that i would write what was on what tape and who the doctor was and who the monsters were and what companions were in it all so right. it was all catalogue it's like this weird gene that's in people's Doctor Who fans making heads. lists making lists and cataloguing stuff oh well, that that's so proper fan yes. stuff at this point isn't yeah. it yeah so but, but I did I did record them on long play which I get more on the tapes which isn't proper because you weren't just recording Doctor Who though you were no, you were, were recording, recording stuff for Paul, for Paul. And yeah like yeah. um what were you recording for uh, him Prisoners, Dark, Dark Shadows Dark Shadows and I think I did a bit of Prisoner Cell Block H for him as well alright okay so so your video was running was, a lot it was running was it? a lot yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> not just for you not just for me for, for lots of other people but I think Doctor Who probably I think by then I probably got most of the yeah. they'd sort of done it what about other other shows then, like Blake Seven and things like I that? I didn't get, I didn't see Blake Seven till very late on. I actually think I saw Blake Seven for the first time at Nick's. Oh right, okay. So, because I, I I I wouldn't have seen that at the time, because we were not a BBC family. We were an ITV family. No, my, my, I am a BBC BBC person, but my family watched probably more ITV. So they were probably watching Coronation Street or something when Blake Seven was on. So I wouldn't have seen that because I remember actually talking about Coronation Street. I missed the first two minutes of Delta and the Bannerman because I was downstairs watching Coronation Street when I suddenly remember Doctor Who was on. And I had to run upstairs because I had a television in my bedroom and start watching it and it had already started. So I think I might have missed most of Ken Dodd on the original (laughs) transmission. Oh, that's a shame. So, yeah. I just remembered it was on once it started. I might have seen him get killed by Don Henderson. (laughs) But, yeah, it's just... It's weird thinking about all, where everything has led me because I was always the slightly odd one in my family, <laughs> you know, the one that they always they they always sort of thought I was the. It sounds really egotistical because I knew stuff because I yeah. remembered stuff. They were like, "Oh yeah, Lisa knows about stuff." But I just <laughs> remember stuff. I learn stuff and I remember it. It's not there's nothing magical about it. Yeah. I've just got quite a good memory for weird facts you know. <laughs> but in in the 90s um you know doctor who wasn't being made no. were, were there other bbc fantasy shows that you <sighs> you, you you sort of 
yeah. we're into. I watched Virtual Murder, yeah. which we've seen a few episodes of recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched Crime Traveller for my sins. Mm-hmm. And Bugs. And Bugs. Don't forget Bugs. I, I watched Bugs, but I wasn't so keen on Bugs, because Bugs is a bit more actiony. Mm. Um, uh, and I didn't really like that. I liked the more sort of slightly odd, weird. That's why I really like Virtual Murder, because yeah. it's a bit odd. It's a bit Avengersy. What, what was the show? Was it Strange? We, we, oh yeah, that's so, that's quite that's the late re- late nineties. Fairly isn't recent, it? Yeah. really. Recent I remember seeing things. that round your house. Yeah. That was quite yeah. That's got Tom strange. Baker in yeah, it, it was, as a yeah. priest, and yeah. um, can't uh, remember much about it, but yeah. I just remember watching it round your house. Ian Richardson was in it as well. Yeah, because yeah, it yeah. was actually a yeah a sort of fantasy show that yes. the BBC were making. Yeah. Weird. But that's yeah. quite a dark one. That was on sort of nine yeah. o'clock on. Again, that's that only ran for a year. It did, yeah. All these things don't last that long do no. they because but what yeah. what about comic marts and things like that how did I you went, get into those well i got into those because um i saw the article about uh, Ray, Ray shift six and i sent off for it mm. and after a while nick and i got very soon actually nick and i started writing letters mm. to each other and we got sort of friendly that way um and then he mentioned he was going to be at a Comet Mart in London. Mm-hmm. So we arranged to meet. We met at the Royal Festival Hall. Yeah. Uh, my dad warned me to be careful as well, because you don't know who going to meet strange people who don't know what they're like. <laughs> um, but I had to... I'd already been to a signing by that mm. point, because I must have gone to that on my own, actually. Because I had... I still, we still got it, I still got it somewhere. A baseball cap. Um, I think it was Who Dares these t-shirts and baseball caps with Sylvester on and I had this baseball cap it's got Sylvester on and he signed it and I think Nicholas Courtney signed it as well Mm. and he spelt my name wrong he spelt it with two eyes so Nicholas Courtney spelt it with two eyes (laughs) because that's that's the way he spelled it but I said to make it easier for Nick to recognise me that I would wear this cap so I literally got to the Royal Festival Hall put the cap on met Nick took it off (laughs) that was it that was it so. What about the Momi as well? Museum yeah. of the Moving oh, my, Image. I went there you with went, my. You went there a few times. Yeah, I went there with my mum, and I think we went one time, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. Um, I went my mom, with my mum and Russell and Michelle, and again, sorry, Russell, if I'm going to embarrass you, but um, there was a bit in the Doctor Who exhibition. There was the cut off Dalek, oh, where right, you'd yeah. go in and do the voice. And do the voice. Yeah. And Russell could do a passable Dalek voice yeah. anyway. So he did his Dalek voice into the Dalek. Yeah. So when it came out, it was really quite good. It was really Dalek-y. Yeah. And he came out and went, I was better than everybody else. I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> let's take him away. Didn't you say you, you went to a signing or two with Russell or something? I went to one signing with Russell. Was that Terence Dix? Uh, Terence Dix was there, yes. Um, he got him to sign. What was that for, sign, though? Just a general not, signing? Sure, just a general signing, yeah. 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 Right. But yeah, um, he got him to sign Dalek Inflation of Earth. Okay. So, <laughs> I suppose he wrote the book, so yeah. yeah. There's an I association rem- I there. remember thinking, oh God, he's, why, did, why did you pick that one? But it's because it had Daleks on it. Yeah. Right. He liked Daleks. <laughs> so. yeah. But yeah, I, did, I used to do lots of things. It did never occurred to me that it would be a problem for not to go to signings. What was the first convention you went to there? Was that it would the, be... The I went, seven one or not? It or? Might, that, that was the first proper convention. I went to the exhibition Nick and I, I think it was, mm. went to the ex- exhibition bit of Panopticon... Oh, you could three. go in. You could yeah, go into that the, bit. That yes, bit. Yes. Where you could pay like five go, quid or whatever. I knew it was like you yeah. could, if you couldn't attend the full event. Yeah, you got to that. 
Yeah. And we went to that yeah. and wandered around for ages and went out again. Yeah. So, but yeah, we went to the Pooh 7 ones. They were a bit What was odd. that about? Because um, that was the Blake 7. Blake Doctor 7 Who Doctor one. Who, yeah. What was that about? Something about voting for the. Oh, they president had they wanted president something. of the universe or something, and it was Serverland who was a man dressed up. Yeah. Or the Red Dalek. Yeah. Or something else. And then at the end of it, a load of Federation troopers burst in, and it was a bit odd. <laughs> okay. This weird crash of Blake 7 and Doctor Who that didn't quite work, despite there being a bit of crossover with, with yeah. guest artists and writers and producers and yeah. directors and stuff. It's The two fandoms are not really that compatible because a lot of Blake 7 fans tend to be, um, at that point, were older women. Hmm. It's so. interesting the way that sort of you know you said you you couldn't be a Doctor Who fan because you were a girl, but yes. you could be a Blake Seven yeah. fan. It's, it's, it's weird. weird. Isn't it? yeah, yeah, it was this thing about lusting after Paul Darrow. I think right. well. not from lusted after Paul Darrow, <laughs> which I'm sure he I'm sure enjoys he tremendously. I'm sure he, mind, he doesn't mind that, does he? That's interesting. Anything else? Or? No, I, th- I think we've covered mostly everything. You've actually written some notes of this, I have haven't written you? Some notes yeah. this, yes. yes, but I would just say, you know. We shouldn't take for granted Doctor Who fandom now because there were times when it really was. You would go to a signing and if you were a girl on your own, you would mm. really stand out. Yeah. And now that's not a problem. But, you know, it's all right to like Doctor Who if you're a girl. But, you know, there were there were signings I went to where I, I you know, cause you used to queue for like you said about Michael Prade. Michael Prade's face visibly lit up when he saw me. Because you were a girl. Because I was a girl when he had a long line of monosyllabic teenagers. Yeah. And he was like, oh, girl, I could talk to a girl. And <laughs> 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 well, I think Fraser was a bit like that. Oh, God, a load of, oh, girl! <laughs> you know, this was still, be- this was before Doctor Who came back and yeah. became a Exclusive to all, yeah, and that's exclusive great. To all. Inclusive, inclusive. Sorry, yeah, you're right. Inclusive, exclusive. Yeah, inclusive to all. Yeah, brilliant. And that includes female Doctor Who. There's nothing wrong with that. Yay. All hail Jodie Whittaker. All right. Well, thank you for that. That's, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Thank you very much. Okay. okay, and we'll do something else. All right then. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you to Mr. Warren for helping us with yes, the eighties. Thank 80s. you, Mr. Warren. Yes. As we said, we'll. Yeah. We'll come back to that. Uh, It means you'll have to come back next time. Oh, that's true. Thank you, Lisa, also for being interviewed. Oh, you're welcome. That's all right. Uh, Slip of the tongue by me on the the last link. Yes, (laughs) I meant to say that there are some William Barnes readings on YouTube. Not not on Wikipedia. There is a poem on Wikipedia. But you have to read it. Yes. It doesn't make any sense if you read it. Mm. It doesn't make much sense if you hear it, to be honest. Well, but we shall see. <laughs> um, but yeah, have a, have, a, have a listen if you fancy some yeah. of that. Um, now we have Mr. Paul Ebbs. Oh, yes. Welcome back, sir. Back for... Uh, well, we were, as we said, we, one of the ideas of this was to do sort of things that are underrated. Yes. And he's decided to uh, have a look at Pip and Jane Baker. Yes. So we're going to cover... Their work for both Colin Baker... Oh, he's going to cover. ...and Sylvester McCoy. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes. So, over to Mr. Ebbs. Okay. In half an hour, Bob Monkhouse opens a new series of his full house. First on BBC One, a game of life and death for the Valyard. And Doctor Who, the prosecutor at the Doctor's trial, who has been exposed as an evil incarnation of the Doctor himself. Both of them are now isolated in the world of the Matrix, where the Valyard is using all his powers to destroy... The Doctor. 
Hello, Ebsy here again. Lisa and Andrew have asked me to do a piece on Doctor Who, which of course always sends me into a panic. I mean, blimey, what's never been said before? Surely it's all been said and written. Well, yeah, a lot of it has, but I'm stupid and stubborn and panicking. So I went away and had a think, and I realised that maybe I did have something original to say about Doctor Who. In fact, I'd already said it. Well, a specific part of it, at least. This year, I'm watching all of Doctor Who and writing about it for a super-secret Hope It Sees the Light of Day project. I'm watching three, sometimes two episodes of pre-2005 Doctor Who a day. I started on January the 1st, and then one, sometimes two episodes of post-2005 Doctor Who a day. Today is the 25th of October 2017, and I've just finished watching The Doctor, The Widow and The Wardrobe. But as well as watching these episodes, I'm also writing about each one. Not just the whole story, but the individual episodes themselves. This has created a nigh-on 300,000 word diary so far, which is going to form the basic research for the project. So what you're about to hear, with the swearing removed, are entries on the episodes written by Pip and Jane Baker. Because, and whisper it, they're not as bad as you were told they were. Everyone lied to you, but it was only watching them like this in this way that made me change my opinion, not only on Pip and Jane themselves, but also of you, the fans. So, buckle up, latches to safety, hold on to your bottoms, here we go. On the surface, the Mark of the Rani has loads going for it, and especially a terrific new adversary for the Doctor, Kate O'Mara's Rani. Oh, how there has been a dearth of great female characters in the programme over the years, and to have a female villain of Kate O'Mara's calibre is somewhat of a godsend. She's single-minded, brilliant, evil, from our perspective, and she really can't be asked with the silly Time Boys and their childish feud. The Rani has work to do grown-up work, and the time tykes are just unimpressively screwing that up for her. Omara is superb as the haughty, business-like Rani. Her assessment of the master, that he'd get dizzy if he tried to walk in a straight line, is hilarious. Her plan makes sense, mostly, although we never get to hear what the chemical she's searching for is, but at least it's a reason for her to be here. And the Bakers, in tying it into the Luddite revolutions, make an inspired historical choice. Having the Master there is great too, and she certainly puts him and the Doctor into perspective. The Bakers mostly get away with the script, it's solidly written, as you'd expect from two vets, and it's straight down the line, adventure pants, with some excellent local colour. Chucking the TARDIS down the mine is a great idea too. Restricting the Doctor's access to it is a great leveller and makes him have to do stuff with his head, rather than sending the assistant back to the blue box to get some plot advancing materials. Terence Alexander as Lord Ravenscroft is aces too. He's bluff, northern and has a nice line in put-downs. I suppose you might even be a gentleman. But after his initial excellence, he has tended to become a little less effective when he's acquiescing to the Doctor. It's a shame too that in a story with such a strong female energy in the shape of the Rani, Perry has been reduced to a what is it, Doctor? Clothes horse. I wish as much care that had been put into the Rani had been lavished on Perry, so that she had a bit more to do rather than just following the Doctor around like a puppy. Female agency? Nah, mate, not really. 
Where the mark of the Rani is not as effective, however, is in the lesser performances. Terrible accents and some awfully duff acting from the working poor of Killingworth. If you're going to set a Doctor Who story in a specific time and place, you really need the actors who have the ability to do that for you, and the bakers don't help themselves by making their stabs at vernacular so cod and cliched. How many times do we hear the word Torby? Robert Holmes would have had a lot of fun with this, but the bakers aren't Robert Holmes, not even glued together and with one head taken away. So yeah, this is an average actioner, but with an excellent location. It's time Doctor Who did the Industrial Revolution, so I welcome that. And the Rani's exasperation at the Time Boys is fabulous, but it doesn't come off screen feeling as special as it might. Top cliffhanger though, the Doctor sort of tied to the train tracks instead of the female assistant for a change, a nice reversal in keeping with the female villain, but in conclusion, it's merely okay. So my scores for this episode, today's scores on the doors, 6.5 out of 10. Mark of the Rani, episode 2. Well, it all pretty much goes to pieces in the second part, doesn't it? Just becomes a series of set-piece battles between the Doctor and the Rani stroke master that have nothing to do with the Industrial Revolution, nothing to do with the Luddite movement, and very little to do with the 19th century. It's a shame to waste an awesome location and set of characters on what basically turns into a huge willy-waving contest. I'd have liked to have seen the Rani and Master actually get close to the group of geniuses, perhaps use the geniuses to trap the Doctor. The, the rubbish with the trees and the mines is silly and very Doctor Who-y, but it all feels very arbitrary and nothing to do with the story or the characters. And what was going on with the T-Rexes? Wouldn't it be really cool to have a T-Rex wandering around the 19th century? I think what we got was a huge waste of the opportunities available. The Rani is still a fabulous creation and Omara is fantastic, but all the great setup in the first episode just drains away. Why wasn't there a base under siege, sleepless zombie attack on Stevenson's lab in which the rocket is used somehow to burst out and make an escape? In my head I can see loads of brilliant things that could have happened rather than a tree that could move a branch. So it's a definite game of two halves, where all the good stuff happens in the first half, and then the teams in the second half settle for a dull draw. Disappointing. Today's scores on the doors, 4 out of 10. Episode 9, The Trial of a Time Lord, Terror of the Vervoids. Trope, smash, murder on the Triffid Express. Doctor Who lands in Agatha Christie's back garden, overlit and over-theatrical. And here's a thought, maybe that's part of Chris Clough's nod to the form, and Terror of the Vervoids inhabits stage Christie rather than TV stroke book Christie. Maybe it's supposed to feel like we're watching from red plush velvet covered seats in an old theatre, a country house murder mystery made from wooden sets and wooden actors. But do you know what? There's not a lot about that first episode you can complain about. It looks beautiful, other than the overlit sections. It's amusing and light and inconsequential, but it does what it has to do for the trope to effectively inveigle itself into who space. 
It introduces a wide spectrum of characters, all a bit shady, all a bit overly intense. It gives us a nice hematically sealed Art Deco country house in space and chucks in some triffid analogues for good measure. Of course where it falls down is Pip and Jane a bit. Gotta love them, but they are terrible at providing words for actors to turn into human sounds. There's nothing wrong with the plotting in this first episode, it's actually quite effective, but the dialogue, especially Mel's, is woeful. Bonnie Langford. Well, what can we say? She's not very good, is she? I know, like Colin Baker, she's enjoyed something of a reappraisal with her big finish work, but honestly, here, she's not really any better than the average Amdram actor. But again, maybe that's the note Clough is giving everyone, and it's not her fault that the character as written is so over-enthusiastic that you pray it's her they throw into the pulverizer next. Michael Craig is giving us his finest triangle acting, Anna Blackman's Lasky is terribly one note, and it's only the always excellent Malcolm Tierney who comes at the thing with any subtlety. I'm no fan of Christie-type murder mysteries, but this seems a nearly effective copy. Turn the lights down a bit, get someone in to polish the dialogue, and the first episode at least won't be that bad at all. Yes, I am perfectly aware this is heresy. Today's scores on the doors, 6 out of 10. Episode 10, The Trial of a Time Lord, Terror of the Vervoids. So then, tell me, what exactly is wrong with that episode? Because I'm sitting here on the sofa scratching my head. I thought it was excellent. Yes, like we do with bad special effects, willingly suspending our disbelief, let's just set Langford's performance to one side and look at what we have. It's an excellent pastiche of Christie. Hits all the bases, ramps up the mystery, throws in double murderers, mistaken and assumed identities, huddled, hushed conversations, unpicking motivations, and the Doctor playing Poirot. The translator twist is a nice one, designed so everyone at home in our darkened theatres can feel as smart as the Doctor, the trial scenes aren't happening too often, and when they do, they're relevant and interesting, rather than just being a load of old bluster. I think that's been my favourite single episode of season 23 so far. It has no lofty ambitions other than to be exactly what it is, and even the dialogue doesn't stink like a dead dog in a ditch. It doesn't reach any high level of verbal intelligence, but it's perfectly adequate. I quite like that the Doctor has suddenly acquired some magician's skills to give us that sense that he's in his future, and that we've missed the point where he had an adventure with Paul Daniels. The Sixth Doctor is much less Thatcher's Doctor here, and has, off-screen, made the transition to Light Entertainment Doctor. So yeah, nothing ostensibly wrong with that. I shall now make an appointment with my GP to have my psychotropic medication reviewed. Episode 11, The Trial of a Time Lord, Terror of the Vervoids. Okay, the Vervoids dialogue is appalling. The actors playing them are not up to sniff. In fact, they're wholly terrible, but the design is great, their motivation clear, and their arm of the plot is really rather good. I can't believe that Terror of the Vervoids is turning out to be so good. This is probably only the third time I've watched it, and I have to hold up my hand and suggest I really wasn't paying attention before. It's not going to win any awards, it's never going to be loved as a classic bit of who, but apart from a few casting, lighting and dialogue snafus, it's the best story of Trial so far. It's way better than Twin Dilemma and Time Lash, so that puts it right in the middle rank of Colin Baker's era overall already. It rattles along, there's no fat on it other than you know who's waistline. The Bruckner complication works, and I know I haven't mentioned it until now, but the three cliffhangers have been excellent.
If nothing else, I could watch Janet the stewardess tottering up and down that corridor forever. <clears throat> anyway, dirty old man mould, disengage. I'm really struggling here to work out why everybody hates it so much. Is it just the Mel, Pip and Jane thing? That received fan wisdom testicles? Because I'm telling you, if you let go of that and watch it purely on its own merits, it's fun, breezy and almost exciting. The plotting in particular is cast iron. I'm having great fun with it. Episode 12, The Trial of a Time Lord, Terror of the Vervoids. If you're a naysayer about Terror of the Vervoids, I appeal to you to watch it again. Other than the wrap-up of the Vervoids themselves, which feels like a case of directorial expediency and an editing necessity rather than a structural one, that was a fairly excellent piece of Doctor Who. Have I woken up in a parallel universe where this story is actually good? Is it the Matrix lying like it did with the censor rights? I freely admit that I've got this one wrong all these years. The pastiche is so complete, they even throw in a few red herring clues to make us believe that Janet is the killer. We get Christie-esque bad guys' last speeches before the detective's double bluff is revealed. It's nearly all there. All it needed was a space vicar and some standard Christie racism and we'd have the full house. I've covered all the things that don't quite work with the story, so let's focus on the positives. It's a solid piece of adventure pants that has more than enough threads to keep us going. The vervoids look ace when they're properly lit, and as a piece of plotting it rings like a bell, as long as you forget the Doctor could have taken everybody off the ship in the TARDIS and then fired the liner into a black hole to destroy the vervoids. By episode 4, I was much less rubbed up the wrong way by Langford's plucky theatrics, and at least Pip and Jane have started to iron out their dialogue disasters, and in the rising tension give lines that sound okay. The Vervoids dialogue is still utterly terrible, but you can't have everything. So stop what you're doing, give it another chance. It's a perfectly serviceable Doctor Who story. Campers bumholes, but holds together remarkably well. I have always misjudged it and then I stupidly believed what people told me, which is why I've avoided it all these years. Well, chaps and chapesses, you're all wrong. So off your toddle, go and watch it. Today's scores on the doors, 7 out of 10. Episode 14, The Trial of a Time Lord. Well, that wasn't at all bad. If a little rushed at the end, after 14 weeks, all the Doctor had to do was break a barometer in a cupboard, so to be fair, it could have been a lot more interesting. Not really sure what happened to the Master or Glitz, just some strange things going on inside his TARDIS, but no matter, it's a big, bubbling, surreal ball of candy floss that's properly difficult to hate. All the stuff on the beach, with wisecracking Glitz and the Cheshire Cat Vale Yard, is great, but as often happens in Doctor Who, the early promise of an episode fizzles out a bit. I know there was lots of upheaval behind the scenes, what with Bob Holmes dying and Sayward's relationship with JNT breaking down. In that context, Pip and Jane do the best they can. It's just a shame that the ending doesn't really work as a bit of drama. The trial season is a bold experiment that they just about pull off by the skin of their teeth. I have good things to say and good things to feel about all the stories which makes a change but man such a short season it took three days to whiz through which means I have about 10 days left of pre-2005 who to go so goodbye Colin Baker you were a great doctor with some astounding stories and a bunch of mediocre ones the next three years I love but I have found a new admiration for Thatcher's doctor Bon Voyage
Okay, brace yourselves. I'm now going to try and change your mind about time and the Rani. Let's be clear. We are now entering my favourite period of Who. McCoy is my favourite Doctor, and in his tenure there are precisely three not very good stories, with the rest being various degrees of masterpiece. Time and the Rani is widely regarded as one of the worst Doctor Who stories of all time. I don't agree with that, there are a handful or more that are worse, but my memory of it, it's another one I haven't watched this century, is that it's pretty bad and yet, stay with me on this. There are many things about that first episode that make it difficult to love. The regeneration is pathetic. McCoy's performance, not yet settled down and suffering a regeneration crisis, if you want an in-story explanation, could best be described as busy. Having him pratfall all over the place and play the spoons was a huge mistake and just gets him off on the wrong foot. I know he's a performer with great physical comedy clowning chops, but none of it was executed in a way that made it watchable. You might have just got away with the spoons. The hairy-legged monster, unnamed as yet, looks terrible. It's a bloke in a suit, and coming so soon after the genius-level design of the Thorus Beatons and the Vervoids is a bit of a come-down. But the rest of it, do you know what? It's not so bad. Pip and Jane are doing what they do. 50s B-movie-level science fiction. Kidnapping geniuses, mad scientists, funny aliens with stupid heads, huge brains! It's all a bit people writing science fiction who have no idea what science fiction is. But it's big and it's colourful and it's always nice to have Einstein in a box. Omara is bloody excellent as the Rani again, and she's the key to unlocking the Doctor's performance. Not only has she filled him full of drugs, but she is as much as unimpressed by this new Doctor as we're supposed to be. Cretin, she calls him, once he's got his clothes and the TARDIS. And the Doctor is never a cretin, so we just need to hold on tight and wait for our favourite Time Lord to shuffle off the last crazy vestiges of the regeneration and everything will be okay. The computer effects in the titles and those that make the spinning blowy up sphere traps are some of the best FX we've ever seen in the series. They look and feel expensive and are very convincing. Plot-wise, the narrative is solid. We know Pip and Jane are always solid on plot and it all hangs together pretty well as a story. It's just the culture shock of this new, deranged, clown-like doctor emerging as a spoon-playing loon from a botched regeneration that makes the thing feel so awkward. But as a story, with no worse creature effects design than we've seen in dozens of stories before, it's average popcorn Saturday night fluff, and therefore I can't really summon up the passion to hate it. And neither should you. Episode 2, Time and the Rani. Again, I'm finding it really difficult to not like this. Perhaps the low rating for this story says more about us as Doctor Who fans than it does about the story. It's still a competent bit of plotting. Omara is still fantastic. And other than a bit of SPOONS STOP THE BLEEDING SPOONS and a stupid monster, I guarantee your average catch this on a Saturday night casual viewer wouldn't really notice a lot of difference between this and the Caves of Androzani, or any other so-called classics. It looks and feels like silly Doctor Who. It sounds like Doctor Who, all bonkers technobabble and portentous melodrama. I'm not going to try and persuade you it's brilliant or anything, but that second episode is just as solid as the first. 
The Tetraps mix up between the Rani and Mel is great fun, and it's really well directed, as is a lot of Morgan's stuff. The business with the kidnapped scientists is perfectly on point for B-movie space pants. It rattles along nicely, there are no terrible capture escape loops or becalmed bits of plot left creaking in the wind. I think as fans we don't understand that the things that make us happy in the show are a billion miles away from what makes the casual viewers happy. They want 25 minutes of escape, Time and the Rani delivers that. Doctor Who is an important cultural artefact, yes, but at ground zero, in the daily grind of making TV to distract and entertain, Time and the Rani ticks many of the necessary boxes. Sometimes I guess we have to let go of our idea that Doctor Who is something that always has to fit in with our notion of what makes it great. If Time and the Rani was incompetently written, it's not, or plotted, it's not, or the production design was worse than anything else, it's really not, or the director wasn't trying his best, he is, and the Doctor doesn't settle down, he has, then I'd be quite happy to say Time and the Rani is the worst story of all time, but it clearly isn't, not even close. It's decidedly average and McCoy needs to reel it in, but I've got to tell you it's not the disaster everybody thinks it is. Once you get past the bleeding spoons! Episode 3, Time and the Rani. Come on, what exactly is that we're hating about this story? That was another perfectly adequate episode of Doctor Who. Yes, the Tetraps are as bad as anything we've ever seen, but they're slightly better than the Mandrels, and Nightmare of Eden is one of my favourite stories ever. It's got a plot that makes sense and a villain whose plans are logical within the confines of operatic space pants. That's a premium achievement against some stories of the past. OK, let's look at the villain's plans in Revenge of the Cybermen, or the Armageddon Factor, or Seeds of Death, or Wheeling Space. It's miles more interesting and fun than those turkeys. The performance of the Doctor has settled down. Yes, they're running the mixed-up proverbs a tad too much, but McCoy is working his socks off to convey the confusion and residual brain farts of the regeneration. His eyes are alive with intelligence. He's vulnerable and, yes, Ace, madly professorial. He's full of crackling energy, he shimmers and buzzes. Yes, he's the most different Doctor we've ever had, but you can still feel bits of Troughton and Tom Baker bubbling through him, combined with the fresh newness of this Carney Doctor, the Variety Doctor, the End of the Peer Doctor. There are moments of manic silliness, but there are also currents of quiet compassion, dark needle track skips on the vinyl of his face, as if his mind is running at a different speed and in a different dimension. The proverbs are being mangled because his brain is too busy doing the important stuff to have time to worry about which gloriously unimportant words pop out of his mouth. Here is a Doctor who isn't easy to love, but that's not because of a bad McCoy performance, but because of his really terrific stab at making the Doctor seem alien and weird and off the wall again. I've warmed to him in this story immensely already. It strikes me that McCoy is the most misunderstood Doctor. His iconoclastic take is challenging, yet deceptively simple, a victim of his own brilliance. The rest of the episode is bog-standard, solid Doctor Who, no better or worse than anything in the past. On this showing, I'd be happy to watch it sooner if, if it meant never having to watch Marinus, Space Museum or Revenge of the Cybermen ever again. Today's scores on the doors, 7 out of 10. Time in the Rani, Episode 4. Totally harmless, 
utterly innocuous B-movie space pants with a giant pulsating brain. Come on, who doesn't love space pants with a giant pulsating brain? Not me, that's for sure. Okay, I wouldn't want Doctor Who to be bald, unlayered, thematically simple, unadulterated space pants every week, but surely there's got to be room for it occasionally. That said, however, it does kind of play with the idea and consequences of collaborating with the enemy. Bayas articulates his dismay at being caught in the situation and when the doctor is joined to the great pulsating space brain he makes it schizophrenic as an act of rebellion. I hear people talk positively about the Keys of Marinus, or the Seeds of Death, even Galaxy 4 has its fans, and Time and the Rani is firmly in the simplistic space opera and whimsy genre. Just like those stories. It's well directed, it's got great special effects, it's got a plot, yes it has, shut up at the back, it's got a superb bad girl and it spends four weeks telling us that Thatcher's doctor has left the building and there's a brand new, very alien guy in town. McCoy starts on 11, post-regen crisis and off his cake on the Rani's drugs, and by the end he's dialed it back down to 7. Pip and Jane deliver solid, pacey, big stupid blockbuster adventure. Nothing more, nothing less. No pathos or intrigue, subplots or deeply emotional stuff. It's by the numbers, yeah? But, and I keep coming back to this, it's solid. There are many stories that are much worse. Time Lash, Twin Dilemma, King's Demons and Ark of Infinity to name the most recent four. Time and the Rani certainly gives the lie to the idea that most Doctor Who fans know what they're talking about, because they clearly don't. Hating Time and the Rani is wholly illustrative of why most Doctor Who fans are whining out of their collective backsides without a single coherent idea to back it up. It's well designed, tightly directed, plotted and mostly well performed. Mel still grates a bit. McCoy's Doctor goes on a journey from regeneration manic, drugged out mania, through to much closer to the Cartmel Doctor who turns up next week in J.G. Ballard world. No fan owns up to accepting that, because no fan wants to admit they're wrong. But, and here's the big but, so much of the fan hate around Time and the Rani was about the campaign against JNT, very much like the one conducted around the Moth recently. It was about the Fanarati hating the casting of McCoy even before they got to see him. It's about this idea that Pip and Jane are rubbish, and they just aren't. They're not brilliant, but they're not terrible. They're just painfully average. I don't, and don't try harder not to be average. They don't have the reach or heft of a Philip Martin or a Robert Holmes, but they turn up. They deliver on time and write traditional telly you can watch in the front room with a noisy family on a dark autumn Saturday night while you're eating your tea. Back then, no one wanted Doctor Who to succeed. The sixth floor of the BBC were desperately trying to find a way to stamp it out. The noisiest buggers in fandom, Gary Lee and Ian Levine and their various cronies, were sticking the knife into the only man who was truly fighting on the inside of the machine to keep the show on the air, JNT. He did the best he could with awful resources and a suicidal time slot. That post-2005 Doctor Who exists in the form we see it has masses to do with the foundations laid here by JNT and, later, Cartmel in seasons 24 to 26. 
They don't always get it right, but with the benefits of the 30-year prism of timey-wimey hindsight, time in the Rani absolutely doesn't deserve the reputation it has. It's not brilliant or wonderful, it's workmanlike and solid. It's a 6 or 7 out of 10. But the tide of hate it receives is more about the process that went on outside the narrative than that that went on inside it. If you can turn off the received ire, fan politics, and watch without prejudice, it kind of works. The tech traps are awful, but like Doctor Who has never had terribly designed monsters before. Time and the Rani didn't need better writers or a better doctor. It needed better fans. <laughs> Thank you to Mr. Ebbs. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Paul. That was another lovely article. It's nice when people come back. It is. Yes. And you might be coming back again. Oh, I hope so. Yes. Right, you just wanted to say a few quick words about Paul McGann. Paul McGann. Yes. I know this is the 80s it is, but one, but... The- but there isn't really anywhere else for this to go, is no, there? No, but so. it's just, just a few words. Just a few words. Just thoughts. to say, um, it was very exciting to have a new Doctor at last. Mm-hmm. And that is no disrespect to Sylvester McCoy, because he was a great seventh Doctor, but they'd been such a long gap. Yeah. So it was really exciting. One thing I do remember, though, is when they announced the news, I don't think I had the sound up or I wasn't looking at it, and I looked up and there was a picture of John Pertwee, and I thought John Pertwee had died. All right. Which he did, but sadly, later that year. Um but yes, yeah, so it I was remember the publicity photo taking it um, Longleat, because yeah. I was going, oh, Doctor Who hasn't got hair. No, he didn't. He had very because <laughs> he'd just been filming um, something where he was in the army. He yeah. had, he had no, virtually no hair, yeah. but that didn't stop Eccleston, did it? No. So, um, but uh, yeah, it was a very exciting time. Um, I remember on the actual day of the broadcast, uh, we were filming in London for one of Nick's films. And everybody wanted to be finished early so we could get back to see Doctor Who. Right. And because, especially as they had to get back to Salisbury, um, which takes about an hour and a half by train. Um, but yeah, it was a very exciting time. We were filming at Earl's Court and we came out of Earl's Court Station and the police box was there in a rather more dilapidated state than it is now. And we were all very excited and ran around and touched it, much to the amusement of the one non-fan <laughs> who was there. Um I also had the video in advance. This is how yeah. long ago this is, the video. I did too. Yeah. Did and you I, watch it? I watched, I think I might have watched the opening sequence and then I went, no, I'm going to wait and watch no, it. No, I, I was bad and watched the whole thing. Well, but it was out it, early. I watched it again when it was on telly. Yeah, so. of course you did. Um, and I, I was very excited by it. I mean, sadly it came to nothing, but... Paul McGann is now doing sterling work with Big Finish yeah. and expanding his I mean, character. I know people sometimes knock it, but if you read Gary Russell's book, oh god, it could it, have been an awful It was lot a worse. narrow escape yeah, for some some of the things. Worse. Power up the crystals, Cardinal. <laughs> yes, well, could have been a yeah. lot worse. But you know, I just like to say thank you for Paul McGann for being but, but a great the, doctor. But it's the link between. But it's the link between the classic series and Who now. Yeah. Because yeah. it's the first time you get a Doctor who's a bit dashing and him a romantic figure you get the kissing which everybody hated at the time but was to become increasingly popular is is there much of this in the future it does tend to start to happen yeah (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it was it's great it's it's the midpoint it's it's the link between old doctor and new doctor so thank you paul mcgann and um perhaps hopefully again one day you'll get some more time on television Mm -hmm. so and and, uh, also i'd like to say yeah. Um, as we're 
leading up to Christmas and the departure of Peter Capaldi. Thank you, Peter, for being an absolutely wonderful, grumpy, uh, excitable doctor. Mm-hmm. And um, welcome, Jodie Whittaker. Yes, indeed. And good luck, and I hope you enjoy it. Right. Yes. There we go. Right, I think that wraps up this, I think it does. this issue. We'll do yes. another silly sketch. Yeah. Do the end yeah. credits. And, and let you then, go. And then... Uh, and, and, yeah, this is a bumper issue yes. so if this is your christmas bumper we'll, issue we'll get a bit like more the radio back to times. normal in episode 18 i expect only yeah. a little bit though because yeah. there's still some wahoo stuff to come there are, yes there is some yes. leftover bits that we haven't yes. used so um, um but we'll, we'll we'll see where we we go in the future yes okay, okay. bye bye happy bye christmas bye. what kind of podcast was that i don't know but i'm glad we got away with it is it Christmassy at the police station? Yes, we've all got holly in our uh, helmets. There's no answer to that. Here's some toast! Oh, ta, but mind you don't set the smoke alarm off. A happy Christmas to all of us. And incidentally, hmm. a happy Christmas to all of you at home. But they might not be at home. Hush, child, you're adulpating me. <clears throat> I might have some ointment for that. <laughs> was episode 17 of Round the Archives, starring Lisa Parker, Andrew Trowbridge, Warren Cummings and Paul Ebbs. On the musical side, you heard Dan Tate and Paul Chandler. The scripts were by Terence Dudley, Eric Pringle and Pip and Jane Baker. And the producer was John Nathan Turner. After a brilliant start. <laughs> Keep going. Right, <laughs> 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 sorry. That's got it. Okay, ready? No. Oh, can I make a suggestion then? So, mm. should we have a comedy run through? Mm. <laughs> so, how should we do the comedy run through? Oh, God, I don't know. Let's just, just go for it. Or can I do Stephen's Northern accent? If you want to, yeah. Okay. Right. What kind of podcast was that? I don't know, but I'm glad we got away with it. Is it Christmassy at the police station? Aye. We got whole... whole oh, no, I'll start that one again. <laughs> I say, I say, I say, I say, yes. I say, yes. We've all got Holly in our helmets. There's no answer to that. Here's some toast. Oh, Tom, why don't you don't set the smoke alarm off? Oh, a happy Christmas to all of us. And incidentally, a happy Christmas to all of you at home. But they might not be at home. Hush, child, you are elpating me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I've got some ointment for that. Thank you. Ding, dingy, dingy, ding, 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 
ding 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 ding